I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom. Good to be here. Bionic. Yeah, that's a pretty brief uh, middle name this week, Tom. Uh, well, I'm just fired up about our, our guest. Yeah, and our listeners are going to be fired up, too. They're going to be thrilled when they hear who's jumped in to see us this week. We have this week the one and the only Governor Jesse Ventura, the author of a new book out that I just love called 63 Documents the Government Doesn't Want You to Read. And our theme this week is about bloody documents, cold, hard evidence of government crimes that control our world. And, again, I want to introduce our guest, uh, whom one could describe as maybe have had a very average humdrum life of mediocre experiences, <laughs> uh, which could really describe anyone in our audience, I think. Yeah. Very typical lifestyle. Action uh, in a Navy Special Operations Unit, uh, later to be part of the SEALs. Uh, motorcycle gang member, bodyguard for the Rolling Stones, uh, world-renowned oh, yep, really? professional wow. wrestler, media celebrity and commentator, cinema box office star, state governor who actually sent money back to his citizens, and now humanitarian statesman and best-selling author. Of course, I'm talking about the one the only, uh, Governor Jesse, the Mind Ventura. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. <laughs> it's great to be here. Well, welcome to the Future Quake Show. Is it? Uh, should I refer to you as Governor Ventura? Is that best... Yeah, well, you know how it works formally. It's the old cliche thing that you're always the governor, you're just not the current one. Got it. <laughs> you know, it's like if you ran into President Clinton, you'd still call him Mr. President, even though he's certainly not the president anymore. Okay. Well, I so, but you, you know, what, people generally they. I guess I was flattered in Minnesota. There was an article written here where they said that there's only four Minnesotans that you can say one name and everyone knows who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And they said, Dylan, Prince, Jesse, and Sid. <laughs> and if you don't know who Sid is, Sid's a local columnist here that writes a sports column. He's now 91 years old. Wow. So everyone in the state of Minnesota knows Sid Hartman, the columnist. But And I felt flattered. They said there's four people. They said, Dylan, Prince, Jesse, and Sid. Boy, Michelle Bachman, she's got to be pretty jealous of you. I think. <laughs> oh, I don't think so, because, you know, Jim I'm Valenti. out of it now. you got to remember... I'm an independent. I'm like the redheaded stepchild who shows up on the day they read the will. <laughs> well, I'm going to make a comment about that because uh, I'm going to share with you something coming from our angle that you'll find interesting uh, on that. You, you know, um, I've been a fan of yours for many decades, back to when you used to kiss your biceps after your victory <laughs> there in your psychedelic tights. Sure, and, like, go uh, back a ways. In fact, I even think you should bring back the Fu Manchu if I had a vote in it. Uh, well, but, that could happen. Thought you sported it very well. You know, in fact, I think that your color commentary approach during wrestling broadcasts decades ago was actually sort of prophetic of your future role in society, because you you actually debunked uh, who was the actually publicly accepted good guy faces they call in wrestling or the heels sure. that were really in the ring. And what you did was you put that on its ear, uh, and I think you're still doing the same role. Yeah, I probably am. I've I've been pretty anti-establishment my whole life. I've always questioned authority, you know, and uh, I think it came a lot from my father. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad was a World War II vet with seven bronze battle stars, and uh, 
he was opposed to the Vietnam War before they were even protesting it. And uh, mm. I used to fight with him because they teach me in school it was the domino effect of communism, and my sure. dad said it was bunk. He said, people are making money. He said, that's the only war reason this thing's being fought. And when I deployed and came home, I was lucky enough my dad was still alive, and I was able to say, Dad, you were right and I was wrong. Yeah. You're right, it is about money. Yeah. Yeah, that's the kind of wisdom you hear at the local McDonald's, you know, with the guys with the cup of coffee well, and Well, the thing is, one thing I've learned, and I'm going to be 60 this summer, my father gets smarter every year. Right. <laughs> I'm amazed over that, and he left in 91, but he still gets smarter every year. Well, you know, what's interesting when I was thinking about having you talking about your color commentary is that our, our government uh, officials and our media aren't much different than the typical commentators at the wrestling ring. They tell us who the bad guys and good guys are. They tell us who to, bow, who, who to boo at, you know, and who to cheer. And then yep. there's a guy like you that comes along the sets there and, and points out the exact opposite to people. And uh, I just think there's a purpose, a greater purpose in what you're doing. Well, that, that's a good analogy. You know, that I've never heard it put that way, but as I listen to what you say, you're exactly right. When I start comparing to what we get on mainstream media today, exactly. where we're basically instructed who the bad guys are and who the good guys are. But, you know, maybe that goes to a bigger problem, guys. And that is the fact, and, and I've learned this recently, and fortunately for me, I've always drank well water in all the houses, but do you realize what fluoride is and what it does and what they put in our water? I, I don't realize what it is because I had it all taken out of my water. Well, anyway, most it. people yeah. have not. Yeah. And flo what's interesting, fluoride in the water came from the Nazis. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and what it is, fluoride is 90% of the ingredient to Prozac. So, in essence, you're getting Prozac in the water for everyone drinking fluoridated water. They tell it's for our teeth. Well, I don't need the government telling me to brush my teeth and use mouthwash. You know? Well, Why do they put fluoride in the water? Well, clearly, if it's 90% of the ingredient of Prozac, it's to dumb us down and make us lackadaisical. Well, you're preaching to the choir here, buddy. Yeah. Our Futurians, okay. they know about all that. You know... Uh, uh, I'm sad to say, I hate to speak about the Christian community that we represent, but a lot of times what they're drinking most of the time is Kool-Aid, and it may have a little fluoride in that too. And uh, so we're we're going to get a little fresh breath there. And you know, you've got a lot of followers, even the Christian community. You may not know that, but uh, a lot of people that really like the the clarity and what you have to say. And I want to jump right in uh, to your new book, which I consider in in the range of invaluable. Uh, we have fantastic guests uh, every time on Future Quake. But your particular book, again, it's called 63 Documents the Government Doesn't Want You to Read, uh, just simply produces the actual government documents themselves, many classified for decades, that expose the crimes of our government against its own people and the peoples of the world and verifying the actions that we've covered over the years on our show here. Uh, and I just want to begin by asking you, that since you have already paid your dues over the decades of public service via your military duties and in, in the stress of public office, again, without any party support, so you, you paid a much heavier price, and, and, and honorably earned through your labors and talent, you, you've, you've made a very affluent lifestyle for yourself uh, that you could really enjoy in peace. You, you could go away and enjoy the fruits of your labors that you rightfully deserve. Why do you still take your valuable time, Governor Ventura, to pursue projects like this book, the TSA lawsuit, the cable show, etc.? Uh, 
my wife asks me that same question quite often. You know what? Mine does too. And uh, I, I don't know really and truly how to answer it. I guess it deals with how I live my life. I, I haven't embraced the concept of reincarnation yet. <laughs> so I've always felt I didn't want to get old and say woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah. So I've lived my life as, as, as diverse as I can of trying everything and exploring what this planet has to offer because I'm not so sure there's anything after it. Yeah. And so living that way has made me like I am. And I've always questioned authority, and I'm a sucker for the truth. And I despise it when something lies to me, an entity, a person, or whatever it might right. be. Right. And I like to turn them over for their lies if they do that. And I simply find the government today seems to be the, the, the place that it happens most often and affects the most people. Mm-hmm. And so I go after them. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe because I always was a villain in wrestling, I'm used to having the odds stacked against me. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe part of me going through Navy SEAL training gave me the ability to stand and battle and never quit. And, you know, that's what you evolve into, into this life. And sometimes you can't control it. And you mm-hmm. got to do what you got to do. Well, you know, e- even if one day you do come to an opinion that there is something on the other side, that will just give you a different reason to do the same thing. Because uh, Brother Tom and I here are both in the same kind of viewpoint in that. But it occupies us to say we need to make the most of this unique time that we've been given here on this earth to accomplish something. And you are an inspiration in that respect of not just resting on your laurel and enjoying the fruits of your labor, but you still care about the people who are oppressed. You can take good care of yourself. I'm, I don't have any issue with that, but you care about the other people who can't. And I, I want to ask you, furthermore, on your book, um, how did you screen down to the particular set of documents that you include in this book? Well, and, you know, why, why, why did you pick those, and why do you think releasing these actual documents uh, is a way to succeed constructively with the public in some way? Well, uh, first of all, we, we, we chose 63. We initially thought, well, we got to keep the number manageable. If we go to every document that's controversial with the government, it might have been 1,063. <laughs> yeah. So we felt we had to keep the, the number manageable. We started off, we picked a number out of the air, and thought, how about 49, one under 50? 49 documents the government doesn't want you to read. Well, many of them were so compelling that we had to uh, raise the numbers. So Dick and I settled on 63 because we felt the significance was that was the year President Kennedy was murdered. Hmm. And in my lifetime, I believe that was a pinnacle Hmm. point of where government completely went awry in my lifetime because I don't believe Oswald acted Hmm. alone. I believe it was a conspiracy, a coup d'etat that took place that day in America in all the studying I've done for the reasons. And I always felt that if they can kill the president and get away with it, what can't they? Then they can do anything. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we settled on the number 63. It's significant to the year John Kennedy was killed. All right. Well, I just want to tell our listeners again that that the unadulterated documents that are clearly just photocopied right after the declassified files are the best thing that you can give your your friends, your family members, people 
who just simply won't buy it. You know, all of our listeners get labeled as crazy conspiracy theorists at their church, pastors, people they talk to, and then give them this document in their hands, and then they have something they can't refute. And that's why I think it's an incredible contribution you've made, is giving us something that will actually make people stop and, and, and assess and be confronted with the cold, hard facts. Well, uh, I hope so. You know, when Dick and I wrote American Conspiracies, we took a lot of heat over that, naturally, because if you side with the conspiracy, they get all these names for you, and you're crazy, and you're all this. So we really, the mindset was, well, let's do a book. And we actually started on this a couple months before WikiLeaks broke. Uh, and so we said, well, let's do a book on government documents. They can't jump on us for that. We didn't create the documents. Our government did. Let's mm-hmm. just expose there's got to be bizarre stuff out there because there always is in government. Mm-hmm. And when you start searching in, in the back of the book, in the epilogue, we list a bunch of places people can go who are interested who want to do their own research. Mm-hmm. We give you our sources. There they are. American people, pick them up and do it for yourself and become vigilant and become what we need in this country, and that is an active, involved citizenry so we can have a good government, hmm. which I don't think we're getting. Oh, but certainly, certainly not. And people don't always even know what they want to replace it. Um, I have something I want to ask you, and I want to explain something for you uh, and for our listeners, and this is based upon something that you uh we're asking us very rightfully right before we went on air about who in the world's future quake and, and what are we doing and trying to explain. And it's probably very different for you, and I, I want to explain it and then ask you a question about it at the end. You know, over, over the last seven years, uh, our show, it's, it's what you would call you know Bible-believing Christian kind of show. We have focused on some ignored Bible passages like Revelation 18, where it says that the kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth conspire together and they use their pharmacia-based sorcery. The word Greek is pharmacia, which means not only drugs, but, but food and other kind of things. And it says, through their sorcery, they deceive the nations of the earth. Now, that's the merchants of the earth and the kings of the earth doing this together. We believe this to be an ancient acknowledgement of how the world works that is completely consistent with the worldview you espouse in your works. Uh, furthermore, that we believe that this whole duality, competing worldview ideology concept uh, that's shoved down our throats by political and even religious figures in America for over the last century, uh, you know, first of all, showing that the Euro- European superiority versus the savages or the American Western free world position versus communism, and now we have Islamism that's now replaced it, or even when you look at the two world ideologies of left-right, liberal-conservative struggle in our own country, is actually a tool designed by Satan, uh, and is described in the Hegelian dialectic, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, and it's intended to distract us and to disguise the real battle being waged in this world by the power elite against its citizens, and to uh, fool them to assisting in their own slavery. Now, this this is point out in the Bible as well. In fact, even in Jesus' time, the two main ideologies, the left-right uh, ideologies, were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And when they both tried to woo Jesus over to their side, he refused. And he told his disciples to beware the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. In other words, both wings. Uh, and in turn, what you find out in the Scripture is that these bitter ideological enemies who fought each other in public met in secret and they were worried about their position with their New World, uh, uh, New World Order master, Rome, and then agreed to eliminate Jesus, who stood up to them. Uh, you know, we, we've made clear about the intended limited role of government uh, that is clearly explained in the Bible and the dangers of theocracy. 
which is a danger to everyone. Uh, and our audience has sort of bought into this understanding of the Bible's message, but we know that the majority of our nation's Christians are still sort of, uh, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid, like I said before, in these matters. For those who are deluded but well-meaning Christian people that really want to be, you know, good neighbors, good Americans, uh, which number in the millions in America, why do you think they should not be afraid of having a libertarian like a Ron Paul, for example, in office? And why can libertarians really even be a friend to those of, uh, that, that have the genuine values of Jesus? Because a libertarian or someone like Ron Paul or myself, and I'm speaking for myself now, not Congressman Paul, because right. he can speak for himself, I can accept any religion. I don't care what you want to believe in. Mm -hmm. Just as long as you don't inflict it upon me without my approval. Right. And that's how I live my life. I, if people want to believe and worship a tree, I could care less. And some do. You know, go out yeah. and worship a tree, pay homage to it, whatever mm -hmm. you want to do. It right. doesn't. It, you're entitled to your freedom of spiritual belief as long as you don't inflict those onto me right. and require me to believe the same thing necessarily. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll give you an example of me. I was the only governor out of all 50 when I was in office that refused to declare National Prayer Day. Yeah. And the reason I did that, I looked at the press, because I took big heat over that. Mm -hmm. And I said to the press, why do you need the government to tell you to pray? Pray mm -hmm. all you want. You don't need me, the governor, to tell you, hey, guess what, today's the day you better pray. Mm-hmm. And then I said, on the flip side, if I'm to be fair as government, I would then have to declare National No Prayer Day. Right. Because there are people that do not believe in that stuff. Right. And I would have to honor their beliefs, too, wouldn't I? Mm -hmm. So I said, there's a separation of church and state here. We don't need the government telling us mm -hmm. to do religious things. Mm -hmm. Do them on your own. That's not government's role. You mean in your time as governor, uh, with your libertarian uh, bent in governor, you never had an opportunity to persecute Christians? I never had an opportunity to persecute them? <laughs> you in what they, manner? Your Christians of Minnesota, they didn't get too much persecution from the Ventura administration, did they? I don't think so. <laughs> I could have, you know, if they don't bother me, I won't bother them. Well, I just Do what saw, you want. I just saw something on WorldNet Daily uh, today, which is, you know, one of the prominent mouthpieces, uh, you know, in the uh, Christian community about uh, how, how they hate libertarianism now and how terrible it is, basically because they can't force their will on other people. And I don't know if they think that Jesus was actually preaching that everybody needed to take Judea back or what, but... Uh, you know, that's the kind of feel sometimes we'll get with some of our leadership. But I want to let you know there's a lot of people who don't buy that stuff. Good. And uh, I personally believe that probably Christians were safer under a Ventura administration than they were under anybody else because you would make sure their rights were not taken away. Absolutely. But you, but you cannot I, I, you know what I, other you know, people. Do you know what I'm most proud of? I'm okay. heterosexual, but yet I believe it was... Uh, Lavender Magazine of Minneapolis, <laughs> the gay magazine. Yeah, they named me the best, uh, the best uh, politician for gay rights in history. Yeah. yeah, and I'm proud of that. And I'm not gay, but because to, to me it's civil rights. Yeah, they're hum Everyone's a human being first. Right. right. And and I don't buy that you choose to be gay because every gay person I've ever talked to, and myself, I didn't choose to be hetero. 
<laughs> I didn't sit down at age 16 and go, well, gee, what am I going to be here, gay or hetero? My body told me. Yeah. There was a distraction. Yeah. I don't buy into the fact that you choose to be gay. Yeah. I, no one will convince me of that. Because why would one do it? To be persecuted? Well, the the bottom line, I presume, you know, you have your philosophies about that. I have mine, Tom has sure, his. The, sure. The thing is, is that why would we want to give the government a tyranny over any of our convictions? Exactly. Why if, would we and, have... and in fact, I can solve gay marriage for you. You want me to solve it? Here it is. The government acknowledges no marriage at all. The government only acknowledges civil union, so you don't have to put your sex down. Right. Let the churches acknowledge marriage. They are the private sector. If they don't want to acknowledge gay marriage, they're free not to do so. Well, you know, there's your answer. That's the same exact position I have, and that's and, what and in fact it ties in. Let me give you another controversial that a Republican actually told me, an old Republican, on abortion. You want to hear my definition of abortion? I'm afraid. Abortion is religion's failure to persuade, so now they want to legislate. Well, you know, there is... Because they have failed to persuade people not to get them. Right. In their failure, they now want to take it to government and have government do it. Right. Well, I, I will I will give you this argument. Where I think abortion is sort of a civil right kind of thing of, of life... Okay. Your point is well taken, though, that it is a failure of the church. Yeah. Uh, whether it's drugs, the drug war is not winning us. You know, we're we're not winning that moral crusade. We're not winning other moral issues. I have certain opinions about homosexuality from the Bible and other things. But the fact is, if the church were to be salt and light, non-coercively in society, we would not need laws because laws do not make people moral. We would not need laws on these subjects if we were truly doing what we need to do. And that includes entitlements. If the church was actually taking care of people the way they should, uh, there wouldn't be a battle over entitlements. So, you know, I see a lot of those issues coming back here. So, um, uh, but, but the, I think the key point is that the way you legislate in your example was you let people live by the dictates of their own conscience. And exactly. And we, we try to explain to Christians, and it really resonates now, particularly with the younger set, that Christians do not have to use the coercive power of government to be able to be salt and light in society and to be able to, to impact a positive good in society. That government should be kept small and unobtrusive because just when you think you get that hammer in your hand where you can go start beating on people, that hammer's out of your hand and that hammer comes over your head. And uh, it'd be better to make that hammer as small as possible, uh, you know, in our book. Um, what do you think? Uh, and I know you, you know, you don't get into the knickers of the Christian community and try to tell them what to do. And I know this is not your area, but but it's sort of ours. What do you think could be a more unique role that the Christian community could play in the struggle you've engaged in? If they actually got their act together, got their head on right about some of these issues, like you have in your book, what could be a more effective role they could play? Um. I guess, I don't know, you know, not being a religious person myself and yeah. having no involvement, it's difficult for me to put myself in those shoes because I don't walk in them at all. Yeah. Um, I guess I would give it the same example I give to the regular people of America, and that is stop voting for Democrats and Republicans. They've been in charge for a 100 years, and look at the mess they've done. 
Mm-hmm. It's time that it's. I don't support the third party movement anymore. I now support the abolishment of political parties. Mm-hmm. And, right. and, Interesting. And and because to me, the system is so corrupted that the Democrats and Republicans have created any third party to survive is going to have to corrupt itself also. Well, you've already got a two-headed monster. Why do you need a three-headed one? <laughs> yeah. You know. Right. So my my belief, and I followed John Adams, who told the United States way back, he said the fall of America would not come from the outside, it would come from within, mm-hmm. and he said it would come when political parties took over the government. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think we're already there. Right. Oh, I agree. Well, anytime you get that kind of power in somebody, in whatever institution it is, we, we can't expect anything <laughs> but corruption from it. The more decentralized well, remember, activities too, are, the better. Remember, too, these political parties are very much like pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. One of the classes I taught at Harvard was how pro wrestling prepares you for politics. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, in pro wrestling, on front of the screen and to the public, we hate each other. Right. And we're going to beat the hell out of each other. Mm-hmm. But behind the scenes, we're all working together. We go out to dinner, you know, this and that, and sometimes sure. we're friends because it's all business. Right, and you have to. People need to realize it's the same thing with the Democrats and Republicans. Mm-hmm. In front of us, they're adversaries. Behind the scenes, they're not. Right. Yeah, they they get cozy to each other out there at Bohemian Grove and elsewhere. Well, well, and, and where? <laughs> yeah, and where? <laughs> and, where uh, yeah. and you know, and and where the results of that go is that you know it's a big phony. It's it's. Uh, Right. You know they're yeah. doing deals and they're and and uh, they're, they're they're setting us up, I think, and mm-hmm. and they do with this phony. Mm-hmm. We despise each other stuff when the reality is, like they all say, my esteemed yeah. colleague on the well, floor. Well, you know, and all that. And um, remember my Bible examples I gave you too, which you won't hear quoted on other Christian media much. Sure. But it clearly says the kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth do this conspiring together, and they do it to deceive the nations of the earth. And that's you and me. And that's their sorcery with the food, with the drugs they give us, with all this stuff. And, uh, you know, they do it up in front of us. They show that they're battling, but there's strings behind that are pulling it. And if people would understand their faith, those are Christians, they would understand and recognize that in the well, world and, and relate to this. As we finish up, I'd like to say to you guys, I think you guys got a tougher job than I do. <laughs> yeah. You know, Maybe. if you're going to, if, because what you espound as, as good Christians, you got a sell job that you're going to have to do that I think is tougher than Jesse Ventura did even getting himself elected. <laughs> and, uh, so good luck. Well, I tell you what. I hope I, you're, I, and let me state this, I, I, I hope you're successful. Thanks. I really Thank do. You. Thank, Thank you. you. I really do hope you're successful because religious people like you I can put up with. Well, Some of them I can't. That's probably the well, best I can, compl- but I can't. <laughs> that's the best but compliment I, could, I, I think you've ever given anybody, way, isn't it? I could hang with you guys. Most yeah. religious people I can't. Well, you could hang more Brother Tom because he's a surfer. He, he's okay, from, there you go. He's yeah. from UC Santa Cruz area where he went to school. so he's All right. He's, well, guys, thanks a lot. I really appreciate your time and letting me come on your show. Hey, can I tell you one last little closing thought? For sure. You, know, you got to sure. go. Uh, but by the way, I went to a website. I don't know if you're affiliated. It's called jesseventura.com, and it says uh, on there, it says, The citizens of the United States pray for your leadership. I think they were trying to recruit you there. Uh, yeah, and, my actual website is weaintgottimetobleed.com. <laughs> 
We, well, and then if you don't mind, we'll put that on our link to the yeah, show. Yeah, no, that's website. my actual website. My son runs it. We well, ain't got time to bleed. dot com. I just in closing, I want to mention to you there's there's another gentleman that we look up to, Doctor Stan Monteith. I don't know if you know him. He's a good friend of Alex Jones. Okay. Uh, he, he was a surgeon, very prominent guy in California that discovered. He, he was on a on a government panel for the governor, discovered about a cover-up about the creation of HIV. And yeah. he, he dedicated his life after that for decades exposing uh, these same conspiracies that you talk about on his Radio Liberty. He has a radio okay. network of 60-plus shows that he needs to you, – you need to be on his show. I mean, it's a okay. large on people, but uh, he, he Very told Very good. Me, guys, i got to run because I'll have another call coming. Okay, okay I understand thank it. You. Thank you, Appreciate it, guys. Yeah. We'll talk again sometime. Talk right. to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're back at the Future Quick Show with Dr. Future. And Tom – no stranger to controversy, bionic. Mm-hmm. Even the triangle of truth fit under that, right? Oh, broken today. <laughs> oh yeah. shoot, no, no sound. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we hope you enjoyed that very interesting discussion with Jesse Ventura. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very difficult man, as you can imagine, to get being a celebrity. But I will tell you one thing: um, when they finally got this set up, it took me a long time to get to his publicist to get this set up. But when he did it. When I called, he, right he answered there. the phone. Yeah. Unlike many top tier Christian people that we've had that feel like they're you're you know they're doing a big favor to you to come on and they cancel at the last minute a bunch mm-hmm. of times in a row. You ever get and a so sense I that they're sort of a, like they're started believing their own propaganda almost? Mm-hmm. I think so. Cult of personality almost. Yeah. That's why you and I are so elitist. We believe that. Uh, same. I'm Let, sorry, what? I was thinking about myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's talk about this interview because yeah. there's some people who, uh, although, you know, over time we've probably lost a lot of people that have been on the fence about mm-hmm. you and me or don't mm-hmm. get us. And, oh, I'm sure that there's probably a future but, great hate group out there somewhere. It must be enormous. Yeah. But uh, but there are still some new people that come on and things and that maybe heard that talk and it didn't sound like a typical Christian show mm-hmm. in the way that we did it. And, in fact, I would guess that there are probably some people who heard that uh, that were offended that we didn't shout down Jesse Ventura when he made, you know, some made kind some of his positions known. statements compared well, he, to traditional he, Christian radio. He just he just made his positions personal position statements that sure. might not be a traditional position that you yeah. and I, yeah. you know, certainly wouldn't. Well, have he's not. That. A, I mean, he's not a believer. So he's not know. a believer. That's right. He didn't claim to be and mm. pretend. But uh, you know, and I know some people like just based on prior emails I've gotten in, your, in times past. You know, we'll probably say, well, you didn't defend the gospel, you know, and some of these issues. Um, but I tell you, I'm just of the mind, and I don't know, maybe I'm a stranger compared to everybody else out there. I am tired of American evangelical Christians having this reputation and mindset that we have to immediately bully everybody instantaneously mm-hmm. to our view and immediately shut them down, even though they may have a different view than us. And that we feel like it's a mandatory requirement the first time we meet somebody in first discussion to immediately point out where they're wrong right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Now, if that means I'm compromising, if that means that, uh, you know, I didn't serve them right by doing it, you know, whatever. But I think sometimes there's time when you have to get to know somebody and they have to get to know you. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I will say, just so people understand a little bit, before we went on the air... Uh, so they know, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. I don't think Jesse has too much stuff to cover up. I think he's pretty much is what he is, you know. Yeah. Um, that uh, before we went on the air, he asked us a question 
before um, saying, I want to ask you all where you stand since we told him we were a Christian show and mm-hmm. he didn't know what Future Quake was. And he says, uh, um, what do you think of, are you happy that Bin Laden, we, we got him and killed him? And, you know, and you asked, said, no, no, you know, it's not. Mm-hmm. And before we could explain why, he says, oh, well, you passed the test. And he had mentioned that he'd been on another yeah. Christian show where uh, he had asked the guy, and the guy said he was so glad that, that Bin Laden had been killed. And he says, well, if you're a Christian, why would you be glad that somebody was immediately sent to hell like that, you know, with any, without any other chance to reach him any other way? Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, he's got a good point. But, and that's really, you know, that's we it. just we just don't believe in vigilantism, basically. You know, you go in there, no trial, no nothing. You mm-hmm. you know, you, you do that, and we're and we're like Jesus. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But anyway, he was testing us, and I think a little bit even in this interview, although it was a very cordial one and very friendly one, mm-hmm. he was testing us a little bit with some of his comments. But but you know, um, I, I guess the thing I wanted to make sure people understood. Is a, some of his personal convictions may, may not be the same as the rest of us in the audience. His philosophy of the role of government actually helps Christians mm-hmm. to be able to maintain their positions and to, be able to maintain even their influence in society. You know, it was very telling when he brought up the idea of not defending a national day of prayer by saying that I don't think the government I don't think the government needs to be in the business of telling you when to pray. You right. should if you're if you're a person of faith, you need to be praying every day. It was like, yeah. How can you argue with that, you know? Yeah. Because, you know what, it reminds me of Colossians chapter 2, when it talks about the people that believe you had to wear your hair a certain way or certain clothes or do not touch, do not taste. Paul mm-hmm. says, uh, he says, those things uh, lead to a false form of, hum- of, what was it, of humility, but they do nothing to restrain sensual indulgence. And I, and I sort of take that like when you, like you say, these things like National Days of Prayer, they make us feel good about ourselves. They make us feel like, oh, look, we're a Christian nation. Really mm-hmm. doesn't do anything to change the heart or nature in practice of anybody, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, even when he said something about, you know, because he hit the two probably most controversial touchstones. He, well, the, the Muslim thing didn't come up, but the other two was the, the gay marriage thing and his abortion. And on gay marriage, when he said, you know, he says, I think that should be an institution of the church. The church should do that. The government is just in the process of recognizing, basically, you know, legal associations. And that's what that's what governments recognize, legal contracts. Mm-hmm. When two people make a binding legal contract <clears throat> on how they separate property or how they do things, you and I can have a contract or me and whoever or whatever, mm-hmm. that they do that. But that's really the, the value of a government, whereas I believe marriage is a sacred thing. I think it's a thing of God. It is a covenant. Mm-hmm. It is a covenant that outside the bounds of, of Christ... You know, mm-hmm. doesn't really have the full meaning of what it is. So, you know, that's another thing where I can't argue with his position. And what happens is, when we make it a federal issue, the government has to be fair with everybody, and then they're going to start coming into the churches and saying, "You made marriage ceremonies and events the thing of the state. You're going to have to do it for everybody." Mm-hmm. And that's not going to further the mission of the church. And what we know is moral and ethical and right, and what the Lord wants and what he despises you know uh, this harkens back to something that one of our former guests said when we talked to a a couple years ago the christian exodus guys yeah and they talked about uh mentioned something in passing about getting married and just not just not filing the paperwork with the state yeah yeah Uh, that's interesting yeah i mean it's not really 
it's re- that's sort of a simple way around it. You know, we got married before God, and mm-hmm. as Christians, we're going to honor that, and then mm-hmm. we're not going to turn the paperwork again. One of the purposes of government is to recognize legal contracts. In other words, they are an enforcement arm. If somebody violates a contract, it's it's in a sense from for civil government standpoint sacred. Mm-hmm to honor contracts, and that they will be there to make sure through the judge and court and, if necessary, even law enforcement, to make sure that they're abided by. So there are, in our society, there have become some legal components to it as far as, like, property rights, particularly if, if heaven forbid, once one splits up, or children, rights for parents and children, all those kind of things. And so that's where the government has to step in to, to secure people's rights. Mm-hmm. But as we know, the institution of marriage is intended to be a covenant, and I think it's a covenant that represents the union between Christ and the church. I think it's made clearly. And we are supposed to model here, you know, a, a smaller scale uh, relationship that's modeled based upon what we see Christ and the church doing. And the world can't understand that. You know, they don't understand that's what no. marriage really is. But the other thing he mentioned about abortion, where he said that uh, um, if if the church was doing what they could, in addressing the issues with mothers and and the other issues of society, that it would become you know almost completely unnecessary to have them mm-hmm. if it was there. And you know that can be a little bit of sour grapes, but I think he still has an excellent point. I think whether, for example, like um, you know, for in other words, if if we were doing our part to by by example. Mm-hmm. by setting a moral tone in our society and the way we lived and our family. I mean, as you know, these things happen as, just about as much in Christian families as they are non-Christian as far as unwa- unwanted pregnancies and that kind of yeah. thing. And, uh, you know, it's tough raising kids these days. I'm not throwing stones at anybody. But <clears throat> we don't really, we can't really say we have a track record where the church has done everything that they can to, cr- to try to create an environment where there is no incentive or desire to have abortions. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we could say a standard that it's wrong, and that's that's good because I'm very strong against abortion. So is you, mm-hmm. so are you. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's sort of like the whole thing about why the government comes in and has all these entitlement programs for people is because the church used to help people that were poor in the community, and they used to take care of those things, and they could do it in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. And now, since they don't do it, the government comes in the void and does it from a secular standpoint. So. You know, for him as an outside observer looking in, I have to give him some credit for that. Although it may not encompass all the issues involved. You know, he's got some credit there. But one thing I wanted to clarify what I said to make sure somebody didn't misunderstand me out there. When when he was sort of testing us about the abortion thing or whatever, and really he was just expressing his view. He didn't really ask ours. But when I said that it was a civil right, I want to make sure our listeners out there didn't understand that I didn't mean it was a civil right for the mother to kill her kid. Uh, it's a civil right of the child to live. Uh, and I don't want to make sure anybody misunderstood me when I said that out there. Yeah, gosh, I didn't realize that. You could really take that one in a yeah. way. Well, people do that all the time with other stuff we say. But I just yeah. want to make sure that I believe it's a civil right of the child. In fact, if, if, if people want to hear a Lulu, I will say one for them. I am the ultimate pro-choice person. Okay? Mm-hmm. I'm the most pro-choice person you'll ever be. And that means that I believe that the child should have a choice whether they live or whether they die. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I would say that God Himself is pro-choice. Yep. And that is why Adam and Eve had a choice in the garden. That is why, you know, Joshua told the, you know, people that they well, choose that mean, you to that stay, who you will serve. Putting a moratorium on abortion until like the 64th trimester. 64th. 
That's a lot. Like I don't know. A ten-year-old kid. You're I like, don't know. Well, <laughs> mom, mom wants to get rid of you. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Kids but, like no. But you know, to me, uh, choice is in some ways part of what makes us in God's image, to be free will agents. Mm -hmm. And again, some of our believers and listeners would disagree with that. But in our government, why why would we want to take something like civil government and use it as something to take away choices for people when they're not taking away the civil rights of others? Now, uh, with abortion, I do think it's a civil right issue. I think you're taking away the civil rights of the child. And sure, that's not right. Absolutely. But, you know... Uh, laws are never going to make people moral. Laws mm -hmm. are never going to make people right with God. It only just determines whether people draw their shades before they do what they do, whether there's a law for it or against it. And God sees everything. God sees right through those window shades. When he looks at the morality of a nation, he doesn't look at their laws. He looks at their behavior. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the, Greek, the Greece, Greeks, Romans, they all had really, really great laws. And mm -hmm. then their society was decadent, you know. Yeah. Just ignored all of them. So anyway, I just thought I'd make some quick comments about that. Did you have anything else you wanted to no, add? No, I mean, I think you kind of you kind of covered it. It was an interesting interview. I don't feel like it. I don't. It, it pretty much went totally in a way that I thought it wouldn't go. It was just totally oh, different really? than than how I, I thought it would go. I was thinking in a lot of ways it was. Oh really? Well, yeah. that's because you're 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 Doctor Future. You knew the future. That's probably it. Yeah. I did some scrying before the show started. <laughs> I saw it. But but no, I just you know he, he's a guy who wants people to fess up and be honest. And I think he's probably been around Christians that haven't done that very much. Yeah. And I think he was shocked that that we were, and that also we didn't get you know get all worked up when he asked some of those questions. In mm -hmm. fact, at the end of the show, when he said, "You two are the kind of Christians that I could hang out with." Yeah, what did he, I he took said? That as a real compliment. Yeah, he said, "You know, most Christians I couldn't hang with, but you guys, I could hang with." Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I mean, I don't know if you could hang with me, man, because I bench press about 480. But well, plus you surf probably a lot better than he does. But you know what? We didn't have to compromise what we believe. Stronger, tougher. You know, to yep. do that, and in time, you hang out with somebody, you know. These things are going to become clear once he recognizes that there are people who can try to, you know, portray the love of Christ. So mm -hmm. That's what I'm going to say that. Uh, I'm sure we'll hear back from people on it. Uh, just a quick announcement. Uh, for this past week, we had uh, Ivan in Scotland buy a couple of book sets. Sweetness. With uh, uh, Lies the Government Told You by um, um, Andrew Napolitano, along with New World Order and Eugenics Wars, written by Andrew Hoffman. And we still have a few available. They are back-ordered right now. Uh, we've got a few more sets we'll be getting by the end of the month. And we have a few that we're taking with us to the conference coming up. And then that'll be it, probably. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have uh, Kate uh, in Kansas also ordered a book set. And I also want to thank uh, Joseph and Brenda for making some donations to... FutureQuake this week on the front of futurequake.com, and that's going to be put into some stuff that we're doing here. And uh, it helps us with our cost of the internet and Skype and mm -hmm. some travel expenses we have. Tom's and, gas mostly. Well, good. That, yeah. I, I, good. Thank you for sending that, by the way. Cool. Yep. Um, so we appreciate that, uh, everybody out there. And um, I think that's it, other than just mention again, we're coming up to the conference. We're coming up to the uh Future Congress Conference. Yeah, and, right. Uh, right over the, just about over the target. Mm -hmm, Bomber yeah. can 
can see it in a sight. Just a few more seconds and then yep. hit the button. July 22nd through 24th mm-hmm. in Branson, Missouri. Go to futurecovers.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Horn will be speaking there. Gary Stearman of Prophecy in the News. Mm-hmm. Chuck Missler. Uh, uh, Chris, Chris Pinto. Yeah, yeah, the dynamic duo. Andrew Hoffman. Yeah. Chris White. Chris White. Yep. Chris Putnam. Chris Putnam. Anybody else? Oh, the Gilberts. Both Gilberts. I know so we're leaving just, a bunch out, but it's just going to be a hoot nanny. Yep. It's going to be a Woodstock mm-hmm. of uh, Christian weirdness, mm-hmm. and uh, we'd look forward to seeing everybody there. It has already caused a lot of controversy this conference, even before it's been held, on some major Christian websites and even in some churches and some other yep. stuff like that with people already getting feedback. At discernment, it's, their discernment needle is stuck in yeah. overdrive. So we're going to have the Great Schism, sort of like the Reformation east west, or the East-West east west split there, yeah. Based on this conference. Mm-hmm. But um, if that's not enough, you and I have got some stuff to talk about that will actually cause a riot. I know. Even amongst the traditional I'm, people. I'm thinking about there. like calling some people, seeing if we can wholesale some body armor for your night's mm-hmm. talks. Yep. Well, I'm going to tie those big foam pads like when the dogs attack you, you know. Oh, yeah. And then the catcher's mask and stuff. bear suit. Yep. <laughs> That's what I'm going to have. So if you all can come, go to futurecongress.com. It's like all of like $95 for something like 84 talks. Uh, that's jam-packed from Friday afternoon to late Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I highly recommend it. And unless you have any other announcements, we can go right to some... We can do some cleanup with some stories here for a little bit in our okay. remaining time. I found a I found a uh, here is, I found a, a link here on one of my stories that says, "Unlucky camel finds Libya's largest minefield." Oh no! <laughs> I'm it, not going to click. Didn't on it, find it long. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, let's get into some stories. You want to start? Or you want you. me? Okay. You. All right. Here's here's a voice from the past. Found a story. Mm-hmm. And then I thought I'd share with here from Chuck Baldwin. This is an article on News with You. So you all remember Chuck Baldwin? Yeah, man. Pastor Chuck. What's he been doing? Uh, had a big Baptist church down in the Panhandle of Florida. Um, ran as the presidential nominee for the Constitution Party, the third largest party in America. And uh, I was one of those guys voting for him, I readily admit. And uh, here's an article he writes. He, you know, he, he just goes against the tide. Even though he's a very well-respected evangelical leader, he goes against the tide of a lot of Christians and stuff, and that's the thing I really appreciate mm-hmm. about him. Um, he recognizes the stuff that we're really messed up with. Mm-hmm. He says in News With Views, it's called Letter from an Agnostic. He says, I couldn't count how many times I've heard a sincere Christian say to me, Chuck, all we have to do is elect more Christians to public office. I wish it was only that easy. The fact is, we've been electing, quote, Christians to public office for decades. In fact, when is the last time you voted for someone who did not proclaim to be a Christian? Yeah, some dude yeah. who's like, well, I'm not, not only am I not a Christian, I'm like a New Age Wiccan. You never see him saying yeah. that. No, even if they well, are, they're always... Well, you know, at least, uh, at least, um, um, what's his name? Um, Kucinich? Well, no, I was thinking about the, 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 the wealthy guy, um, Trump, Donald Trump. Uh-huh. He told everybody about how really deep his faith was recently, so all the evangelical leaders gave him a thumbs up. Oh, really? Yeah, that's right. We we covered that. He's a wonderful Christian. Okay, he says, my whole life, I never remember a candidate for public office saying, vote for me, I'm an atheist. Do you? Richard Nixon claimed to be a Christian. Gerald Ford claimed to be a Christian. Jimmy Carter claimed to be a Christian. Jim Acotta was a Christian? Oh, yeah. Well, he even taught Sunday school and took alcohol out of the White House. 
He still teaches a Sunday school class in Baptist Church, Georgia. That's far out. Yeah, Ronald Reagan uh, claimed to be a Christian. Uh, Bill Clinton claimed to be a Christian. How many times did we see Clinton on his way to church with his giant print Bible under his arm? George Bush first, the second, uh, claimed to be a Christian. Bush second held prayer meetings in the White House, we're told. Even Barack Obama claims to be a Christian. Ditto for virtually every congressman and senator ever elected. Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives, men and women, whites and blacks, they all claim to be Christians. I guess we do have one that's a Muslim now, Keith Ellison. But If electing Christians was all we needed to do, we should be in the millennial kingdom by now. Of course, I can hear many Christians now saying under the breath, but we need real Christians in public office. And of course, the people saying this are the ones who are qualified to know which ones are real Christians and which ones aren't, right? Mm-hmm. In speeches all over America, I have surprised many Christian people when I say I would rather vote for an unbeliever who would preserve, protect, and defend the U.S. Constitution than vote for a believer who would not preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. When a civil magistrate assumes public office, he or she does not swear an oath to be a good Christian or to be a good conservative or to read their Bible and pray every day. What they swear to, however, is to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. The, the reason why it doesn't matter to, uh, to a hill of beans whether we elect Republicans or Democrats or liberals or conservatives or Baptists or Catholics, etc., is because for the most part, none of them cares one iota about honoring their oath of office to be faithful to the Constitution. Ding. But holding our elected officials, well, that was a pseudo triangle of truth. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Should I bring it back? What do you think? I don't know. We've got a very galvanized devices. audience over that one. Yeah. Uh, it says, holding our elected officials with the Constitution should be the primary focus of any public servant's constituents. For, forget the rhetoric. Forget the label. Forget the religious piety. If our public servants do not submit themselves to the Constitution to which they swore an oath before God and man, they are liars and frauds and should be treated as such. But because the vast majority of Americans do not themselves understand, appreciate, and value fidelity to the Constitution... They are content to let their politicians routinely ignore and trample constitutional government. Therefore, Christian Democrats cheer the unconstitutional, loathsome policies and decisions of the Christian Jimmy Carter, and Christian Republicans cheer the unconstitutional, loathsome, loathsome policies and decisions of Christian George W. Bush. And as Sonny Shear saying, the beat goes on. And the rush toward bigger and bigger government, less and less freedom, and more and more socialism goes on. All these Christians in public office notwithstanding. In the midst of all this duplicity and chicanery come honest, freedom-loving constitutionalists of all stripes, shapes, and sizes. Men and women from all persuasions, backgrounds, and education who understand the principles of constitution government enough to be truly considered a friend of freedom. And that's why I've often said, not all Christians are our friends and not all unbelievers are our enemies. Case in point, I recently ran across this blog from a professing agnostic. Before reading it, please understand that countless numbers of our, quote, Christian brethren have routinely lambasted, lampooned, and laughed at constitutionalists such as myself, Congressman Ron Paul, Sheriff Richard Mack, former gubernatorial gubernatorial candidate Shalene Nightingale, Pastor John Weaver, author and researcher Neil Skuzin, former Congressman Helen Chenoweth, former gubernatorial candidate Deborah Medina, former Vice President Isola Foster, etc. So with that said, here's the quotation from a professing agnostics blog about yours truly. 
He says, uh, and this is, this is what this agnostic says. He says, some reading this have already picked up on the fact that I'm pretty much atheist. Well, I'm perhaps agnostic. Pastor Chuck Baldwin, call him doctor if you prefer, call him Chuck, call him almost anything, but a hypocrite. It's the underlying message that keeps me reading to the end of his articles. His message is freedom. He preaches from God's side, but his message is freedom for all men, not just his own flock. Not just those that profess Christians to be Christians at large. Not just those who agree with him. Not just those who will follow his ways. But freedom for all men. Let them by their own actions be judged here and in the hereafter. There is actually rather few ways one can live in a civil, sane, safe, and free society. It has darn little to do with one's faith. It has everything to do with one's character. If the preacher, a person who professes to stand for the works of Jesus and his Father God, is unable to minister without kowtowing to the state, if he is unable to speak the truth without risk of persecution, then he should not be silent, nor should he find himself standing alone in his trials. If he speak in the truth of all, of all men, that freedom does not come at gunpoint, that it's not a brand name and trademark by the political idols of the age, it makes no difference if he says, Praise the Lord or Viva la Revolution. But today... The preachers who speak the truth of what's harming his people can be persecuted by the same corrupted system as any other time. They are the same dog, only the leg movement and dress code varies era to era. Hmm. He will find his congregation is more concerned for their own hide and possessions than they are for the truth. They merely mouth the words of their Savior and mean none of it to apply to themselves. Chuck Baldwin, the freeman, happens to hold his Bible as his crutch where others do not. He preaches of his religion and the views he's formed uh, from his belief. And he sometimes, you know, makes me mad because he's rather conservative, whereas I'm not much. But even if I will not follow his religion or his God, I will follow his lead as a freeman. I don't mind if he's not exactly the same as me in thoughts and ideals, nor do I care if his politics are a little far to the right for my personal taste because he's not bothering me with those things. He is calling for all humanity to rise as Freeman United to be shed of the tyrants that would enslave every man, every woman, and every child to their whim. It is true that the pastor and I would have significant differences in opinion over time, but for so long as one could say to one another, if you come in peace as a Freeman and harm me not by your ways, you are welcome at my table. Then there are at least two volunteers for the battle against tyranny standing shoulder to shoulder calling for other Freeman to join us. We need not concern ourselves with the slaves. By default, they'll become freemen when their masters flee under the wrath of the freemen arisen. Courage in their convictions is their shield and true justice and honor their code, name withheld. And Chuck says, The understanding, wisdom, and character that is represented in the above blog is rarely demonstrated in any church, from any churchman or from any pastor. I would sooner share a foxhole with his agnostic and try to win him to the Lord at the same time than with many professing Christians. When did, when did we Christians lose our character? When did we lose our honor? When did we forget what it means to be freemen? When did we forget the principles of constitutional government? When did we lose our understanding of natural law and natural rights? It seems to me that all over America the stones are crying out because men and women of the covenant are sitting back fat, happy, and dumb. No, electing mm. Christians is not all that is needed. If we don't start looking past party labels and Christian profession and start getting serious about preserving the fundamental principles of natural law, constitutional government, and freedom, this land of liberty is going to quickly disappear. My dear agnostic friend, you're welcome in my foxhole any day. P. 
P.S. Uh, and then he just finishes here. So, that will be controversial to some people, that talk right there from Pastor Chuck. Um, I would like to add a thought to that. In mm-hmm. the, uh, I know where Pastor Chuck's coming from, and I know he's committed to Christ, and that mm-hmm. he believes that God's will is, is sovereign and those kind of things. He just doesn't believe that he is supposed to be the agent of coercion to force other people to do what he preaches from the pulpit, what they should do. Mm-hmm. And he preaches, he preaches strongly from the pulpit what they should do as, as a pastor of the, you know, as a, um, you know, one who's called to preach from the Lord. Mm-hmm. But yet he doesn't believe that the arms of civil government are the way to get people right with God. And in my talk that I gave at the Politics of Religion conference, I tried to sort of go a little bit further than what Pastor Chuck did there and talk about the principles in the Bible, directly from the Bible. So he's just not inventing this stuff up by secular sources. But but what did the Bible establish Gentile secular governments were supposed to do? Civil governments and Gentile nations. And what he said, I believe, is supported by Scripture for the governments to be able to do. And And the fact that we... We we get frustrated that boy we just can't reach this generation and why are these people so hostile to the gospel? They don't trust you. They're not yeah they're they're not necessarily hostile to the gospel they're hostile to us you. Yeah, yeah us personally yeah you know it's because you know Jesus wouldn't want to be around us much less these other people it's, the way we act. It's an interesting quandary. Um, myself I've I've noticed that there's such a there's such an intense sort of pressure to evangelize people and to win them to the Lord. Hence, you know, the the phrase mm-hmm. we're evangelicals, you know, we're Yeah. Uh that that price of that price of winning people to the Lord has come at a cost of personal um personal uh honesty in some cases. And and mm-hmm. uh certainly, you know, certainly not everybody's like that, but it's en- it's become that way enough that it's sort of become a byword, and that Christians are are suspect yeah. in non-believers' minds. Yeah. Well, I would say even further. I'm, I'm not going to apologize for us doing the Great Commission. I mean, that is what we're sure. called to do, tasked to do, to make disciples. But the fact is, we don't usually do it the way we saw Jesus do it. Mm. You know, we we go in, and our first thing is to go shame everybody that's in the secular world. We want to shame them and show our superiority, and hit them the first moment we're in their presence. Hit them between the eyes. And show them who's boss, and show them that we're on higher ground. And then once they, once we've humiliated them, then they'll want to come to the cross. Whereas, you know, that kind of harsh rhetoric, Jesus mostly reserved for the religious leaders mm-hmm. of his same tradition. He was very kind and patient to those who were outside of it. You know, it's interesting. I think I made this analogy before. In some ways, our evangelistic efforts are a lot like Diet Coke, mm-hmm. where Diet Coke, you know, used to be like. A drink, you know, you would satiate thirst, or it would be, mm-hmm. it would provide a nutritional benefit. And Diet Coke really doesn't satiate your thirst mm-hmm. or provide any nutritional benefit. In fact, mm-hmm. it sort of does the opposite in both. But people mm-hmm. continue to sort of, you know, in some cases, drink like a case mm-hmm. of it a day. Mm-hmm. And and. You but know. but I would like to say we picked up a new sponsor this week, Diet Coke. <laughs> Satisfies your thirst. I'd be, well, I'd, I'd make a different analogy. Yeah. It's a lot like Diet Pepsi. As you were saying. <laughs> um, and, and I'm intrigued by those thoughts because I, I had the same, this is a thing that I could, I mean, we could do a whole mm-hmm. show where I just sort of rattled off my thoughts in a non-sequential Well, it sounds manner. like to me like Chuck Baldwin is eating with sinners. 
Yeah. So we need to really, you know, criticize him for that. Yep. You know, throw him out of the church. He's hanging out with publicans and, and people yeah. like that. You know, what's interesting is I was just thinking about the way that people raise their children and they raise their mm-hmm. family. Uh, you know, I think it's important for a, a Christian family to have sort of a uh, a nucleus where that it's safe, you know, mm-hmm. and and maybe just a tad bit apart from from the world, so you can raise your kids and mm-hmm. you know and, and you know homeschooling is a good idea. I feel. Yeah. And, uh, and those things like that, but there's a subtlety in in how you do that. There are people who raise their kids in this nucleus to sort of uh, to instill good values, and then there are people who do it because they're afraid of the world. Right. And the kids pick up on the. I've noticed that kids tend to pick up on that. They see they no longer see that set apartness as we're trying to make our camp as good as possible, and I'm yeah. trying to instill good values in you. Yeah. It's it's I made these fences high to keep you in. You know what? An enlightened parent in that environment by training their kid should be, in my opinion, should be educating them about the views, the opinions of the world, their mm-hmm. thinking from a safe vantage point of, of making sure they understand it mm-hmm. and then showing the shortcomings of it, the, the lack of fulfillment, whether it's the lascivious environment, you know, of our environment, sex obsession or wealth obsession or all these other kind of things mm-hmm. to be able to, to really be honest and say, look, this is what you're going to see out there. This is here. But let me tell you what the real reality is from wisdom that goes back thousands and thousands of years from God himself, who's seen all this stuff come and go. And here's what it is. And really prepare them, because I, I know a lot of parents who raise their kids in extremely sheltered Christian environments and thought that they were doing great for them. And in theory, if they properly prepared them, they would be. But they send them out, and then the kids go into total rebellion mm-hmm. because they've been kept in total isolation from even being aware of what they're going to expect to see, and then they mm-hmm. just go totally into they tend it. to it's interesting they tend to view the they tend to view the parents with suspicion and rebel, and what the parent does is try and put up a higher wall yeah and then it, it it's like the cycle mm-hmm. you know by the time they're eighteen they've got two piercings mm-hmm. and a, that reminds you know, me of the old phrase the, ring. the beatings will continue until morale improves mm-hmm. you know uh but but the, I guess the other last comment and a word of warning I would say to make people don't read too much into that very brave article that he wrote was that when you heard that agnostic person talking about free men and stopping tyranny and stuff like that, we want to make sure we don't get caught in the v for vendetta trap. Where we see our whole call and the whole sacredness is people throwing off, you know, shackles of restriction and freedom. I think to me that is a duty we have under our, under our call to be good citizens, where mm-hmm. God wants us to be, you know, good citizens, is to, is to make sure that tyranny doesn't happen. But that is not our main call. Our main call is to win people to the kingdom of heaven and make sure that's the primary focus of what we do. Uh, now, did, did did the abolitionists do right by getting rid of slavery, you know, and people like Wilberforce? Certainly. I think of that course, was they're yeah. acting as Christ when they're doing that. Mm-hmm. But our whole thing, again, is not to end up being like the V for Vendetta people that throwing off these shackles of the New World Order is the highest calling we have. Uh, it's only the calling is when this gets in the way of us being able to set people free eternally. Hmm. So I just want to make sure people were clear about that. Hmm. And, you know, this is is another one of these things where it comes into these false dichotomies where we're given a false choice. Mm -hmm. It's either you're going to go along with with all the system of taking away our rights and don't ask any questions because you're pious Christians and you're above it, or you're going to go out there and you're going to spend all your time focusing on 
the Constitution 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. When the real key of it is, we have a relationship to the future king of the universe. I mean, he's already been crowned, but he's going to be taking over the reign here. We know the bigger picture. He's going to run it. But yet, at the same time, the, the Bible gives us pictures of what limited role civil government is supposed to be and how, under the best circumstances, it should not impede us for our main mission of, of impacting the principalities and powers that we're here to fight. Hmm. And so I just think we're, we're, people are pushing the two extreme camps, and one looks at the other one with derision when it's actually the third way is the way that's probably the most responsible one to Scripture. Hmm. I would agree with that. I'll bet we could make a whole long list of stuff that's been framed irresponsibly. I was thinking that too. Yeah. 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 Well, what do you think? You want a, want a story here? Yeah. Give well, us like a really, really good one that was just jaw-dropping. Okay. Well, do you want to hear about don't believe everything you see and read about Qaddafi? Or do you want to hear about how burglar cops are breaking into homes in... Uh, I want to hear about you know, Qaddafi. Okay. I like the burglar cops one, especially because it's got no, a picture there. It's like these cops climbing through a window. How cool. They do it under is that a real-life picture or just a drawing? Uh, no, it's a real-life picture. Wow. What they do is they break into these houses and just and start lecturing whoever's home. Like, you need to close this window. People could come in and get you. That No, I mean, it's, yeah. No, that wouldn't happen here in America. This this is in London, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, they don't have. Yeah, somebody broke into my house. They have some problems. Yeah. Might have to cook them dinner. So you have like Jehovah's Witness and Mormons scattered out in the yard, and people like Girl Scouts with their cookies all <laughs> shot, big pile out there. No, but I do have a lot of Girl Scout <clears throat> cookies. They, yeah. I, they I, do make it inside. Yeah, the Girl Scout cookies make it inside. Okay, give us the story. All right, uh, so this is from the Independent, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, well-known British newspaper. We've never had a story from the Dependent, have we? No, they never have. Been no. Both sides of this conflict, uh, here's sort of the subtitle, both sides in this conflict are guilty of spreading propaganda and foreign journalists have have on occasion been all too eager to help. In the first months of the Arab Spring, foreign journalists got well-merited credit for helping to foment and publicize popular uprisings against the region's despots. Satellite TV stations such as Al Jazeera uh, in particular struck at the roots in power uh, in Arabic police states by making official censorship irrelevant and by complete, competing successfully against government propaganda. Regimes, regimes threatened by change have, since those early days, paid backhanded compliments to the foreign media by throwing correspondents out of the countries where they would like to report and by denying them visas to come back in. Trying to visit Yemen early this year, I was told that not only was there no chance of me being granted a journalist visa, but that real terrorists... Amazingly, there is a trickle of such people wanting to see the wonders of Yemen. We're being turned back by, at Sana'a Airport on the grounds that they must have secretly been journalists. The Bahrain government has an even meaner trick. Give a visa to a journalist at a Bahrain embassy abroad and deny him entry when his plane lands. I like that one. Yep. Here's your... Right back. Yep. See you later. It has taken time for this policy of near total exclusion to take hold, But it means that today foreign journalistic coverage of Syria, Yemen, and to a lesser extent Bahrain is usually long distance, relying on cell phone film of demonstrations and riots which cannot be verified. I was in Tehran earlier this year and failed to see any demonstrations in the city, in the center of the city, though there were plenty of riot police standing about. I was therefore amazed to find a dramatic video on YouTube dated, so far as I could tell, 
27th February, showing a violent demonstration. Then I looked closer and I noticed the protesters in the video were wearing only shirts that was wet and freezing in Tehran and the men could see in the, in the streets wearing jackets. Presumably somebody had just redated a video shot in ah. 2009 <laughs> when, they were pr- when there were, of course, prolonged riots. Mm-hmm. With so many countries out of bounds, journalists have flocked to Benghazi in Libya, which can be reached from Egypt without a visa. Uh, alternatively, they go to Tripoli, where the government allows a carefully monitored press corps to operate under strict supervision. Having arrived in these two cities, the way in which the journalists report diverged sharply. Everybody reporting out of Tripoli expresses understandable skepticism about what government minders seek to show them as regards civilian casualties caused by NATO airstrikes or demonstrations of support for Gaddafi. By way of contrast, the Foreign Press Corps of Benghazi, capital of the rebel-held territory, shows surprising credulity towards more subtle but equally self-serving stories from the rebel government or its sympathizers. Ever since the Libyan uprising started on the 15th of February, the foreign media has regurgitated stories of atrocities carried out by Qaddafi's forces. It is now becoming clear that reputable human rights organizations such as Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch have been been unable to find evidence for the worst of these. For instance, they could find no credible witnesses to the mass rapes said to have been ordered by Qaddafi. Foreign mercenaries supposedly recruited by Qaddafi and shown off to the press were later quietly released when they turned out to be undocumented laborers from Central and West Africa. The crimes for which there is proof against Qaddafi are more prosaic, such as the bombardment of civilians in Misrata, uh, who had no way to, to escape. Uh, there is also proof of the shooting of, un, of unarmed protesters and people at funerals early on in the uprising. Amnesty ep- estimates that 100 to 110 people were killed in Benghazi and uh, 50 to 60 in Badi, though it warns that some of the dead may have been government supporters. <coughs> The Libyan insurgents were adept at dealing with the press from an early stage, and, in this, uh, and this included skillful propaganda, but to put the blame for unexplained killings on the other side. Uh, one story to which credence was given by the foreign media early on in Benghazi was that eight to ten government troops who refused to shoot protesters were executed by their own side. Their bodies were shown on TV. But Donatella Rivera Senior crisis response advisor for Amnesty International says that there is strong evidence for a different explanation. She says amateur video shows them alive after they had been captured, suggesting it was the rebels who killed them. Hmm. Uh, It is a weakness of journalists that they give wide publicity to atrocities, evidence for which may be shaky when first revealed. But when the stories turn out to be untrue or exaggerated, they rate scarcely a mention. But atrocity stories develop a life of their own and have real and sometimes fatal consequences long after the basis for them is deflated. Earlier in the year in Benghazi, I spoke to refugees, mostly oil workers from Brega, um, which had been captured by Qaddafi forces. One of the reasons they had fled was that they believed that their wives and daughters were endangered of being raped by foreign mercenaries. They knew about this threat, of course, from watching satellite TV. Mm-hmm. It is all credit to Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch that they have taken a skeptical attitude to atrocities until proven. Contrast this responsible attitude with that of Hillary Clinton or the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, Luis Moreno Ocampo, who blithely suggested that Qaddafi was using rape as a weapon of war to punish the rebels. 
Equally irresponsible would be a decision by the ICC to prosecute Qaddafi and his lieutenants, thus making it far less likely that Qaddafi can be eased out of power without a fight to the, to the finish. This systematic demonization of Qaddafi, a brutal despot he may be, but not a monster on the scale of Saddam Hussein, also makes it difficult to negotiate a ceasefire with him, though he is the only man who can deliver one. Mm. And that's an interesting, highly mm-hmm. salient point. There is nothing particularly surprising about the rebels in Benghazi making things up or producing dubious witnesses to Gaddafi's crimes. They are fighting a war against a despot whom they fear and hate, and they will understandably use black propaganda as a weapon of war. But it does show naivety on the part of the foreign media, who almost universally sympathize with the rebels, uh, that they swallow whole so many atrocity stories fed to them by the rebel authorities and their sympathizers. <clears throat> well, you know, that gets back to Saddam Hussein. You know, all of a sudden he was guilty of every single sin on earth, and it certainly wasn't he was a good guy. But how come people weren't saying all about that right before somebody told us we need to go to war with him? He was good enough to shake Donald Rumsfeld's hand. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And a lot of other people. Actually, uh, Rick Joyner's, uh, one of his good partners, uh, Paul Kane, who was one of the no prophet guys, yeah. He got to go in and have a meeting with him, and he thought he was going to be a prophet. To, he he came back and testified how great that Saddam Hussein was, that he was a wonderful Christian man. Mm-hmm. Um, great. In that, oh, but. oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me. I, I think I missed something. You're telling me that that Paul King came back and said that that uh, Osama bin Laden was a wonderful Christian. No, man. that Saddam Hussein Sa- was. Saddam Hussein. Yeah. Saddam Hussein was yeah. a wonderful Christian man. Yeah, yeah, met him. Man, had a totally different view of him, and that he felt like that proved he was a prophet from God. That he gave him prophecies that would, you know, save Iraq, and and that would show that he was a true prophet by doing that. Sort of like how Rick Joyner had that prophecy way back in what was it the nineties or earlier that uh, California's going to have a major major earthquake and wipe it out. That he was a prophet, but what you know, man, I'm. Prophets can't always be right all the time, you know, unless you're a Hebrew prophet. Yeah, well, you know, you're going to get prophets of Baal. They they only had to be right so many times. Well, you get you get drilled with like stones. You get hit with rocks yeah. if you were wrong in the Old Testament. Right, right. Uh, can I share something with you here? Do it, man. This will be a little different cup of tea from what people expect from me. And this is a surprising story to come from Prison Planet TV. This is where the Alex Jones Empire, mm-hmm. one of his websites. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says, uh, one step closer to one world religion, 50 U.S. churches to read from the Quran on Sunday. And this is from a website called The American Dream, but it was, the story was put front and center on Alex Jones's website, which mm. you don't get a lot of those kind of stories on there. It's no. very interesting. It says, the three main pillars of the New World Order that the global elite want to bring about are a one world economy, one world government, and one world religion. A lot of attention gets paid to the development of the first two pillars, but the third pillar gets very little attention. And this is the hook, I think, that sort of gets it on for them. Mm-hmm. But the truth is that the one world religion is getting closer than ever. Interfaith conferences and meetings are being held with increasing frequency all over the globe. Major global religious leaders are urging all of us to focus on our shared religious traditions. The belief that all religions are equally valid paths to the same destination is being taught in houses of worship and at religious institutions all over the globe. 
this interfaith movement is being promoted by NGOs, which are non-governmental organizations that mm-hmm. get money from yeah. the UN, charitable foundations, and top politicians, and is being backed by big money all over the planet. Now, some U.S. churches are trying to take things to another level. On June 26, the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., and approximately 50 other churches in 26 U.S. states will publicly read from the Quran during their Sunday worship services. This is all part of an interfaith project being promoted by the Interfaith Alliance and Human Rights First. The theme of this Sunday is Faith Shared, Uniting in Prayer and Understanding, and the goal is apparently to show how much Christian churches in the U.S. respect Islam. The following are some of the other prominent U.S. churches that will be doing Quran readings this Sunday. Christ Church in New York City, All Saints Church in Pasadena, and it goes on and on, Denver, Boise, San Francisco. There's a Lutheran, Methodist, Episcopal, uh, Honolulu. What about Nashville? Don't see Nashville on the list, but I don't have the whole list. It says, hmm. but these Quran readings are just supposed, I didn't see our church on there, by the way, Tom. That's I good. hope so. It says, but hope these, not. these Quran readings are just supposed, Russ Dizdars, I didn't see his church on there either, so. Mm-hmm. These Quran readings are just supposed to be the beginning of something bigger. The following is from a description of the Quran reading on the website of Human Rights First. It says, at its core, this project will bring together Christian, Jewish, and Muslim clergy to read from and hear from each other's sacred text. In doing so, they will serve as a model for respect and cooperation and create a concrete opportunity to build and strengthen working ties between and among faith communities moving forward. The truth is that all Americans have the freedom to read the Quran whenever they want. This is back to the person talking. Mm-hmm. But should Christian churches be reading from it during Sunday worship? And should should they be seeking to, quote, build and strengthen working ties with Islamic groups that are seeking to promote the spread of another religion? And you notice this 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 person writing this didn't go take it the time to do some slams about these people want to conquer the world and that they want to do they they didn't bite that whole thing. They're just saying it's another religion mm-hmm. and why our church is promoting another religion. Obviously, many Christian readers leaders are not pleased with this development. Worldview Weekend President Brandon House, who again was just on our show mm-hmm. recently, recently made the following comment. This is in World Net Daily. He says, they have denied the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. They have denied the inerrancy of Scripture. They have denied the inspiration of Scripture. Sadly, this is not a new trend. The truth is that the interfaith movement has been building momentum for decades, and some of the most prominent religious leaders in the world are involved. For example, the following excerpt from the CNS article, this is from Catholic News, talks about a huge interfaith event hosted by the Pope when he visited Washington in 2008. It says, when Pope Benedict XVI comes to the Pope John Paul II Cultural Center in Washington for an early evening interfaith meeting April 17 with Buddhists, Hindus, Jews, Muslims, and representatives of other religions, space will be at a premium. Many top U.S. Christian leaders have been very involved in the interfaith movement as well. For example, Brian McLaren, one of the top leaders of the emerging church movement, actually celebrated Ramadan in 2009. Rick Warren, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, has been a guest speaker at the National Conference of the Islamic Society of North America. Some time ago, a virtual who's who of evangelical Christian leaders that included Rick Warren, Robert Schuller, Brian McLaren, Richard Shizik, and Bill Hybels all signed a letter to the Islamic community that was entitled Loving God and Neighbor Together. This letter made it abundantly clear that these Christian leaders consider Allah and the Christian God to be the same entity. Let's mm. take a quick look at a couple quotes from the letter. Before we shake your hand in responding to your letter, 
we ask forgiveness of the All-Merciful One. This is the Christian leaders asking them. Now, Islam, the All-Merciful One, is one of the key names for Allah. So in this letter, the Christian leaders were praying to Allah and were asking for his forgiveness and were acknowledging that he is God. Here's another quote from the letter. If we fail to make every effort to make peace and to come together in harmony, you correctly remind us that our, quote, eternal souls are at stake as well. Very strangely, in the letter, the Christian leaders claim that their eternal souls are at stake if they do not make every effort to come together in harmony with the Islamic community. Once again, people in America are free to believe whatever they want. I'm glad they clarified that. Mm -hmm. But Christian leaders should not be trying to develop religious ties with Islam. The truth is that Jesus would not have wanted anything to do with this one world religion that the New World Order is trying to bring in. Uh, and then he mentions John 14:6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Would you think that it would be so clear that no Christian leader would ever be able to misunderstand that? In fact, the very uh, two of the Ten Commandments are about no other God should be worshipped except the one true God. But he says, but today everybody wants to be politically correct. And that is especially true of religious leaders. But this is exactly what the global elite want. They want everyone herded into one giant global religion that they will be able to take charge of and control. And of course, once that global religion is established, they won't have much use for the real Jesus Christ or for the Bible. Even if you're not a Christian, you should be deeply troubled by these developments. Uh, they mentioned that he wrote about Agenda 21 and the radical population control agenda of the mm -hmm. global elite. And they want to use climate change and environmentalism as social engineering tools in order to reconstruct society in the way they see fit. He says, I've also written previously about globalization of the world economy. The global elite eventually wants to merge all of us into a one world economic system that they will totally dominate. So even if you're not of any faith, you should be alarmed when you see attempts being made to merge the major religions of the world into one global faith. Hmm. Um, I thought they did a pretty good job of writing that. Um, I think the key here, let me just make a comment, and I hope some of our listeners who get all worried about us and we've become closet Muslims, is that um, this thing of merging these religions and of ignoring the key fundamental differences we have, which I think the key difference is the substitutionary atonement requirement that we have for forgiveness of our sins through sure. so Jesus Christ. Well, then they don't believe Jesus is God, but yeah. other than that. Right. But but particularly the substitutionary atonement for, mm -hmm. for our sins to be covered mm -hmm. by his shed blood. And, and you know, you can't cover over that. There's no excuse you can make for that. But here here's this dichotomy thing, okay, that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Here are two false extremes set up. Let's pretend we don't have any differences and let's act like we're one global religion or let's go have a war and kill each other. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yep. And what Paul, and, and in fact, the people of that last camp that go kill each other camp hear this, and that gives them ammunition. Yeah. For saying, See what happens if you're not with us. This is, yeah. this is what's going to happen, and we've got to kill them all, otherwise this happens. They don't realize it's not necessarily the Muslims who are setting this up. It's the globalist people who are mostly of a new age pagan doctrine mm -hmm. that are setting this up. It's not the Muslims, it's them. No more than it's the Christians setting this up other than the people that have infiltrated in all these religions that are mm -hmm. coming along for this. But you know, P Paul picks a third way. He says, is if at all possible, live at peace with all people. Now that's pretty simple, okay? He didn't say, go believe like the pagans, don't go do what of this. He says, just if at all possible, live at peace with all people. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the early church was this tiny little group emerged in a pagan society, and it says that they were a good report with all people. 
So they didn't go say, our first job was we got to go take Rome back. Like taking America back. We got to go take Rome back and we, we got to start getting the, the government laws to set up the way we want to. None of that was set up. They were of good report, even amongst the pagans. We got to go blast them. Now, Sorry. again, some political government figure decided that it was advantageous for them to be a scapegoat later. Mm-hmm. But, but they were of good report. Why do we have to pick the false dichotomy? Why can't we pick the way of, of, you know, avoiding the differences, but yet being a good neighbor, like Jesus says. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Just being a good neighbor, and you know what? They may be more likely to become Christians when they see that. So, get off my soapbox. That's that's it. Okay. No, no, that was good. Oh, that's cool that that, that, uh, Alex Jones' site had that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It seems one one of the ways that we're moving more and more in the last couple of weeks, I've noticed, <clears throat> we're moving more and more to sort of exposing the false dichotomy. You know, it's, if it's not this poll, it's this mm-hmm. poll. And each side uses it as ammunition, when mm-hmm. in reality, those polls have been set up in a way to sort of make you sort of mm-hmm. uh, to polarize. And when in reality... Exactly where they want you. Yeah, and when in reality, the yeah. truth is, is, is not even mm-hmm. part of that paradigm. It's of a completely different paradigm. You you have to be a Pharisee or a Sadducee. You got to pick one of them. You're That's either a Pharisee or a Sadducee, or we're going to kill you. You got to pick. You got to yep. pick. And Jesus said, "Beware of the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees," mm. and that'll get you killed when you say stuff like that. Indeed. So that's what happened. Hmm. And that's what's going to happen with these kind of things. These kind of things, you in behind closed door stuff. Mm-hmm. They'll get together and they'll kill the people who don't want to play ball on that. They don't mind if we kill each other. That's fine with them. But if we don't play ball with their dictates, that's when they're going to have a fit. When I went to that United Nations conference and they had the UN rep there mm-hmm. speaking for that New World Religion, they made it very clear that they were there because of the political goals that could be attained by uniting people religiously. That it would serve the United Nations' other goals for society. That it would get over obstacles if our religions were together. It's really completely Machiavellian. I mean, they just means to an end. Could care less Very about the spiritual issues. Yeah. You know, this was the UN rep that was there. Wow. This, this was a, a woman that was there, and she told me that my talk was the most sexist talk she'd ever heard. Sweet. Because the people in the audience liked it. You know, they said, we've never been told this kind of stuff about spiritual warfare and the heavenlies and stuff. But uh, But she thought because... I included Eve along with Adam, you know, in the garden, you know, with the problems. And evidently Adam was the only one that did bad stuff. But, hmm. well, you know, her religion was dictated by her ideology and political philosophy. Yeah, well, that, you know, I mean, she was a UN rep, is, is it? What yeah, she said? yeah, yeah. Tend not to. I she mean, was the rep to that group. Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to go somewhere else. I could okay. start going, <laughs> going on and on about that. But it wouldn't be edifying. What's the story? Uh, this is the one I was referring to earlier. Oh, can I tell you something real quick? And What's then that? I'm going to do this because I'm afraid I won't forget this. Okay. Uh, we had one of our Futurians, Brother Joel, come. Yeah, oh, man, he was a cool guy, wasn't he? Yeah, great guy. And uh, too he, tall, but other than that, yeah. <laughs> he came to see us, uh, worshipped with us Sunday. Yeah. And uh, if we have a future Quake basketball team, we're going to get him to play. Like he got to meet Merv, Power too. Center. Yeah, I was there. Chris White, he met. We, Chris uh, Pinto scooted out too quick from church. We didn't yep. meet him, but but uh, we went with another friend of ours, um, Brother Ryan and his wife, and, and Pastor Chris and his wife, and had had 
uh, lunch. When we were coming back on the road, coming back here to the Future Quick Studios, mm-hmm. it had rained a little bit, and there was some water on the on the ground, and we were going around a bend. And here comes this truck flying about 30 or 40 miles an hour faster than they should. Mm-hmm. And they were complete in a broadslide. I mean, they were in a total wide broadslide slide, slid over that wide bicycle path on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And you could just see that fender completely take out a mailbox. Just Sweet. sheared it right off. And that was, that was me driving? No, it wasn't you driving. No. But anyway, it was coming toward us. And I was afraid his tires were going to finally get some grip on the edge and shoot him back toward us because he was sort of pointed at us. But he was still in a complete free slide, like an ultimate drift, uh, total <laughs> wipeout, you know, right up by the guardrail. Yeah. Uh, and I was afraid I was going to forget that because that was, like, really cool. And then I had to tell, uh, you know, Brother Joel that that's not the way it was normally around this part of Tennessee. I don't know. Didn't Sometimes do it, it is. Didn't do it all the time. So. Yeah. Just want to give a shout-out to Brother Joel. Brother Joel's got all this stuff. He's got it hands down. Mm. He's got it. He's got it figured out. Got it nailed. Yeah, he does. He One does. through each. Yeah. Okay. okay. Let's tell us some police. Yeah. So the the name the name of this article it comes from the Sun, okay. another 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 uh, mm-hmm. British newspaper. Burglar cops break into homes. Okay. Right. Uh, so what the cops are doing? The subtext is cops are breaking into homes in in a dramatic bid to highlight the risk of being a victim of of burglars. Okay. So they're just sort of they see an open window, climb in, and start lecturing mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Uh, police from Fortune Green's Safer Neighborhood team in West Hampstead, North London, are climbing through windows left open to alert residents to the sinister threat. Officers are carrying out the mock raids in a high-profile initiative to slash the number of burglaries. They are committing break-ins across their patch, locking up the property and leaving a calling card to notify the stunned owner that they were there. Wow. A young woman. This is illegal search and seizure without a warrant, right? Yeah, yeah. But this is Britain, so somehow they get away with oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. They uh, have yeah. to go back to the Magna Carta and see what it says, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, couldn't you just see this happening here in, in the United States? Yeah, Idaho. Yeah. Somebody yeah. climbs Montana. through Chuck Baldwin's window and he blasts him out the, you know. Yeah. Do you know Jesus, sir? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Then you have to set a TV on Good. them so it looks like they were still Ta-boom! on the TV. Yeah. Um, okay, so what are these uh, <clears throat> bobbies doing over there? They're carrying out mock raids and high-profile initiative to slash the number of burglar- burglaries. As I said, they are committing break-ins across their patch, locking up the property and leaving a calling card to notify the stunned owner that they were there. Mm-hmm. A young woman on her own was startled when a uniformed cop strolled into her living room after clambering in through an open bedroom window. Police said that after her initial shock, she was grateful when they gave her crime prevention advice and tips on making her home safer. Hmm. Hmm. In the radical crackdown, codenamed Operation Poppins, police have also upped covert patrols challenging cold callers and officials. Police said that they were building uh, up a vital intelligence picture of local crime as they worked closely with neighborhood watch schemes. PC Adam Owers, a Fortune Green Safer Neighborhood team, said... Please don't realize how quickly a burglar. People don't realize uh, how quickly a burglary can take place, and most residents are surprised when we tell them how little it would be, how little it will cost to make their homes safer. Burglars are creatures of habit; they are opportunists, and they prey on the easy target. Hmm. He added, "Operation Poppins is all about raising people's awareness, and if they see something suspicious, letting them recognize they can tackle it head-on by calling police and the local SNT." 
Like, like, it's like, Operation Poppins. Yeah. It's um, like Mary Poppins. Yep. Like coming in the chimney or something. I guess so, man. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think she was a witch. Yes, you, I think so, too. Yeah. Likewise, if you're worried about security, call the SNT and we will visit you. So, we've got dudes climbing through windows there in, in England. Don't worry, we're the cops. Wow. Yes, people acclimated to it. I know. Let Is us it in your door. Like, you know? I'm reading this and I'm going. You see Sheriff Taylor doing that? On well, Mayberry. Andy, get down out of uh-huh. that window. You know, they might invite him in for a piece of pie or something like that. And that'd be about it, you know. Could you imagine, uh, 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 you know, what's his name uh, with his bullet? Yeah. A bullet in his pocket. Barney. Yeah. yeah, Barney. Somebody climbing in his window. Mm-hmm. Andy's climbing. It's dark. Andy's climbing in his window. He gets that bullet mm-hmm. out. Chaboom! He, you always knew when they were on like a serious mission, like a serious law enforcement, you'd hear that. That's like when the FBI and feds are in town, you know, mm-hmm. they'd always have that music. Yeah. Wow. All right. Are you, that's, that's it. It's very okay. short. Just I, goofy. I got a little short little uh, snippet here because mm-hmm. we'll need to get on to mm-hmm. emails here. Okay. Uh, this is something that one of our listeners gave me a heads up on. And, uh, um, about something that, about an event coming on to watch, and there was a name associated that was a little alarming mm-hmm. to me. This was a group called OneTheEvent.org. Okay, uh, OneTheEvent.org, and they're having a big event coming up here on 911, and it's supposed okay. to be worldwide. And it says, "Our vision." I just took this off their website. It says, "Imagine a world beyond fear, where humanity lives, works, and plays in total harmony." We see September 11th as an opportunity to make a shift of perception, which will take us one step closer to collectively living this dream on Earth. If we can come together in love and joy on a day formally symbolizing fear and grief, we will demonstrate the human spirit's capacity for stepping up to the plate of our collective responsibility. We will have a beautiful planet, beautiful communities, and this moment we will choose fear or love. What would happen if on September 11, 2001 at 10.46 GNT, p.m. GNT, uh, exactly 10 hours and 10 years after the first plane struck the first tower, the entire world united in a moment to open their hearts and send love? This vision was inspired by the pa- power of radical forgiveness and transformation. Imagine the power of 3 million people sending love and forgiveness on a day synonymous with fear and hatred. We believe that if we continue carrying resentment, anger, and outrage in our own minds, it will continue the eye for an eye cycle through which all are blind to our common humanity. Hmm. We are eternally grateful to the power and presence of love, capital L, love, called by many names around the globe, whose great work is this, and who brought us, brought this team together. Now, Obviously, any of our learned listeners, as well as you know, this is very new agey. I'm thinking, like, yeah, pegging I'm thinking the new like age who wrote meter. this, like Alice Bailey? This or? is like the ultimate new age thing, mm-hmm. and they're trying to have world harmonic convergence. And they're having meetings all over the world, Seattle and then a bunch of places around the world. I don't know quite how big it's going to be, but they're planning for this. But then I saw a name of one famous person who was recommending this. And this person was Mike Adams, the health ranger, editor of naturalnews.com. Oh, Bummer. You know who he is, right? Yep. I mean, he's a big supporter of a lot of independent radio and Patriot Radio and different kind of things. He's on Alex Jones frequently, mm-hmm. but not just there. He's on about everywhere. Yeah. Uh, every, yeah. Seemed okay. like a really, really decent guy, you know. 
But they have him quoting on here. And here's out Mike Adams, what he says. In a time of great change, when so many are facing uncertainty about our collective future, one, that's what they call themselves, O-N-E, dispels the illusions and brings us back to the fundamental truth that every spiritual and religious leader in human history has taught us that change in the world around us first requires a shift of focus from within. And when that shift is in the direction of loving life and protecting life, we literally shape our universe into a more living reality. I encourage everyone to participate in one, the event, and experience the power of consciously shifting your focus, if even for a moment. So, I thought that was significant because not only was this event, I don't know how big it's going to be, but, and you know what's sad? It's just so sad how they pervert good ideas. I mean, you and I would agree that it's not Christian for us to be dwelling on someone who we think who's wronged us, mm-hmm. which actually we've probably been told the wrong people who, who wronged in this case. Yeah. But we shouldn't be dwelling on it. We should respond, even when somebody pokes our eye out in love. That's a Christian way. That, that's how the Pokes Christ- our eye out in love. Well, no, we should respond in love to that. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking in shorthand. I'll pray uh, for you, but first, yeah. do what I mean now in a second. But, ah, wise guy. Uh, anyway, uh. Sorry, go ahead. But you know, if the Christian community in America could have responded in love to the people who we were told did this, mm-hmm. that, rather than us waving our big flags and the Christian community saying, well, let's see how many we can kill and, you know, putting those Bible verses on the mm-hmm. gun sites and stuff, that may have changed things. But this is totally a new age kind of thing. And mm-hmm. the second thing was the fact that, uh, Mike Adams, is a guy who's really very well known in the community of independent radio and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and again, host some shows now and then and stuff. Mm. And it's just discouraging. You know, he may not mean much bad about it, but I think it sort of shows his new age tendencies. And who knows who else would fall into that too. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's FYI for our listeners for discernment. I, I'm going to call that a day for my stories, except I want one little word to read. I'm going to turn the floor over to you if you have a quick story, and then we'll get to email, okay? Okay. Um, I just want to mention a little quick blurb from an ABC um, show on uh, ABC News with Diane Sawyer, World News, where she was talking about Rick Perry getting in the camp. Mm-hmm. And there's a quote in here that I actually heard this quote on Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck was playing it and saying how great it was, but I wanted people to hear it. Uh, Diane Sawyer says, and in politics tonight, there's a rumble in the wings. It's a race to the White House. Now, this is, now, Rick Perry was the guy who just went to the Bilderberg. Yeah, meeting, and he's been anointed. Been anointed, and then he came out of nowhere. He had uh, already told everybody a firm commitment that he would not enter the race. Mm-hmm. And now he's doing everything that shows he's entering the race. Mm-hmm. He's closing up to the Dominionist people. He's having prayer meetings with them and stuff like that. Um, okay, it says, uh, he's about to shake up the candidates already in the field, and they, he has the cage rattling larger than life, Texas Governor Rick Perry. And John Berman reports, as they say in that state, he is a man who can kickstart a mule. Okay. And they talk about him, quote, he says, it's a swagger. No Republican candidate lit up the crowd like Texas Governor Rick Perry. And here is a quote from the end of one of his talks. Uh, and I've heard the audio, he says, Let's lead them. These are like the people who can't find jobs. He says, let's lead them to the safe harbor of American renewal and the shores of American exceptionalism. So this is a big thing that's been quoted everywhere. This is a big thing he's rallying around as a concept of American exceptionalism, which is, you know, American arrogance. Yeah. And it's uh, too bad, man. I mean, you know, American exceptionalism is everybody's 
fired up about it. I, I'm sure if we dug back, you could even find out that American exceptionalism originally meant something else, and then, you know, they've yeah. taken it. So, A.K.A. idolatry. Let's use the old word for it. It's, yeah. It's At this point, it's just... Setting it up as an idol. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Germans had German exceptionalism, you know, mm-hmm. back in the Nazi party. Mm-hmm. They had that kind of thing. But but here's some of the things they're saying. This is They, they got the media on the same page here. It says, mm-hmm. uh, ABC News says, of course, Perry is not actually a candidate. Not yet. But who is the 61-year-old son of a rancher with phenomenal hair? And why do so many Republicans hope he runs? He has got rock star potential, and it's showing itself over the course of the last couple of weeks. A fifth-generation Texan, an Air Force pilot who first met his wife in elementary school. It says a one-time Democrat who once campaigned for Al Gore. Now, he was the campaign manager for Al Gore in Texas. Nice. Okay, that's how conservative he is. But now a darling of conservatives and Tea Party groups. Because they're so discerning, you know? Yeah, they're so discerning. They stick their finger in the wind. And he said, hmm, 51% of people are Republicans. I've totally changed my worldview. And now I will do what all politicians probably do. It is called the flip-flop. Right. <laughs> well, you know, Sarah Palin, did you hear she quit that big tour that she was doing with all the motorcycle people and stuff? No. You know, she's not running. She, she's not running for office or anything, and all she did was to care about all the people that she went to go see. It was all she she did. That's She wasn't doing it for political purposes. But sure, of course not. The cameras have been off her for several weeks, and so now she's quit going on this great humanitarian mission that she was doing, riding on the bikes, because wasn't getting the PR. Hmm. So. They're all the same. Yeah. They're all the same. You know, they'll say, I'm not running. Well, that means I'm running. Yeah. No, no, no. It'd be like a politician saying, no, I really don't have any ambition. You know, I don't have anything to look at for future potential to better myself. You know, that's what they're saying, basically. And how would you ever believe that from a politician? You know? Yeah, you know. That's the one thing never to believe. You know, I had an interesting conversation with... uh, uh, a gentleman at our church whom, whom whom you would know but shall remain okay. re- remain nameless we were sitting around on his porch one afternoon after after working on a couple cars and he said yeah. he said you know what i have known some former presidential candidates in my time and i've mm-hmm. known some uh some people who went on to be famous senators for this for this yeah. great state and i can tell you one thing for certain they didn't get there because they were smart yeah. And uh, he said, you take a guy who's making a good living, you know, mm-hmm. 60, 70,000 a year providing for his family of two yeah. or three, and all of a sudden, wham, flam, flippity boom, he's at, in and out of Congress in four years, making, you know, 250,000, doing essentially the same thing. Yeah, or a lot more than that. Yeah. 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 And uh, it's not because he was a genius, it's not because he right. was just that dynamic. It's not because mm-hmm. he really had a great idea. Oh, this tremendous it's because integrity he sold his soul. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, he's, right. and he said, that I've been in the rooms when people were in the process of selling their soul. And you know who ultimately is blamed? The citizens who let the media tell them who they are supposed to like and vote for. Mm-hmm. Even if it's Christian media telling you that. If they're telling you that, then basically the money that these people do, because basically they're giving up their integrity and the best wishes of the public mm-hmm. for the people who are buying their way. You know, to put them in. So they put that money into all this media stuff and things. And when the public gives the people who have the most money, re- repeatedly giving them the victory, rather than somebody not having money, then they get what they deserve. Mm-hmm. So where does it rest? It rests in the public. There you have if it. people would not vote, you know, if we'd make a commitment to say, 
you know, the people who have the most money in these elections, we're not going to vote for any of them. That's just it. They're going to put the most money in their campaign. They can't be trusted. They probably were bought off. So we're going to make it a point not to put them in. Just think how that would change things. Probably not at all. Okay, thanks. <laughs> okay. Sorry. You got any last story? I got a couple stories, man. Do you want to... Um, just a quick one, because we're, we're running late. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll just do kind of a quick overview, follow-up to a story that I mentioned a couple weeks ago. Okay. And, I mean, it's it's kind of... It's kind of... It's almost not like futures news. It's kind of like... I almost hesitate to mention it, only because we sort of... I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Uh, this is from Al Jazeera. Cliff note. Yeah. Missing Iraqi cash as high as $18 billion. Remember, we talked yeah. about it being $6.6 billion and now it's $18 billion. Mm-hmm. So Osama al-Nujafi, the Iraqi parliament speaker, has told Al Jazeera that the amount of Iraqi money account- unaccounted for by the U.S. government is $18.7 billion, three times more than the reported $6.6 billion. Uh, he says there is a lot of money missing during the first American administration of Iraqi money in the first year of occupation. Uh, the Los Angeles Times reported last week that Iraqi officials argue that the U.S. government was supposed to safeguard the stash under a 2004 legal agreement if signed with Iraq, hence making Washington responsible for the cash that has disappeared. Pentagon officials have contended for the last six years that they could account for the money if given enough time to track down its records. The U.S. has audited the money three times but has still not been able to say exactly where it went. Al Jazeera's Iraq correspondent, Jane Araf, Reporter from Baghdad said it's absolutely it's an absolutely astonishing figure. This goes back to 2003 and 4. There is still going to be a fairly wide net cast. Some of them uh, involved in mishandling of this money are thought to be U.S. officials, but many here believe that it is the Iraqis who have filled their pockets. Safeguarding the money was up to the Americans after the invasion. Provisional authority was here was run here by the by the American government, and piles and piles of shrink wrap wrapped U.S. dollars came here, but the cash coming in is not the important part. It's what happened to it after it got here, and there are no documents to indicate who got it, where it was spent, and what was ever built from it. So you have it. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. How come the Christian community doesn't seem to care at all about that? Because we're busy. How much Christian media have you heard talk about that? Uh, None. Zero. What what it tells you is exactly what we suspected all along, and other people told us, was that this is yet another racket. Mm -hmm. You know, like General Butler says, war is a racket. This is another racket. All that money is in somebody's pocket lined. The people who want war. It's interesting. It's interesting when you think, you know, four or five companies really ran off with kind of the lion's share of the the reconstruction effort there in Iraq. That's right. And... If they could get together and say, look, we need to have a war to, you know, if we spend $100 million on mm-hmm. getting this war, will we make a billion dollars? If the answer is yes, then to a completely unscrupulous mind, it's good business, you know? Well, and in history, you can see that, uh, uh, what was it, the Rothschilds? They were mm-hmm. involved in that back in the really old wars. They did all sorts of that stuff, yeah, financing both sides. DuPont. Yep. Was involved in that, sold gunpowder to both sides, and like World War One and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so we have a history of this. And in fact, the Bible says that you know the great merchants of the earth are right there, the kings of the earth skimming this kind of stuff mm-hmm. in Revelation 18. So when when we're told some kind of ridiculous excuse for going to war, like like that 
nurse who talked about the baby sold out of the incubators. Mm-hmm. It turned out it was a PR firm here in the U.S., you know, the Kuwaiti embassy had hired mm-hmm. to do. Why do we fall? It's like it's like Charlie Brown. I always thinking Lucy's going to hold the football. You know, but but the thing that disturbs me more is it's the Christian community. They don't care. They don't care. No, the story's not, not even going to be talked about. They're just like, oh well. Or 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 stop the pot. We you know they got to save freedom. You know, we got to mm-hmm. we got to go send some soldiers to take a bullet for us out there, so then we can we can go praise what a great warrior we are. After you know they come back with their legs missing and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and we feel all good about ourselves and patriotic. You know. I remember what Andrew Halfman had in his book about war. It was so so succinct and true. He said, uh, wars are fought on both sides by their poor people, paid for by their respective middle class for the benefits of the wealthy. Yeah, I remember him saying that. It was that's, like, boy, he really kind of... That's succinct as it gets. Yeah, you know? that's about it. That's really it. Well, can we get into some emails? Man, hit us with some good emails. Hit us with the bad ones. Uh, even the really terrible ones, uninformed yeah. ones. No. ones that People just have to guess which is which. Well, we can't get. We don't have time for that stack. Yeah, that's, that's the big stack over yeah, there in the corner. The big, that's the big stack. <laughs> yeah, it's a fire hazard over here. So much. Uh, this is from uh, this is from Brother George. Okay, and uh, he says, uh, "I really enjoyed your show on Glenn Beck." Uh, all these things have come to play out in God's time. This was, I'm sure, Brandon House. Uh-huh. All these things have come to play out in God's time to bring about the great falling away. The 2012ers have the stage set for the non-believers. The church had to be very carefully and tactfully approached by Lucifer and his ilk, but he has had thousands of years to smooth out his plan, and you and the other warriors out there are keeping a few of us focused on very subtle deceptions. As you progress on the effort, it will become more and more dangerous for you as you speak out. And that's just from other Christians. Yeah, I know. Uh, Firing squads in the Christian community right. or in circles. Right, exactly. Personally, but truthfully, I'm a coward when it comes to standing up on a speaker's lectern, and I'm not knowledgeable enough to go toe-to-toe with false teachers. So the best I can do is to say that you and Tom, folks like Chris White and others, are the real heroes in the battle for Bible truth. And my prayers are with you. I hope it does not come down to extreme tribulation for us and our families, especially the children. No, I'm praying for a pre-tribulational rapture, but right, okay. I'm not. Yeah. I, can't, I can't say that I can find it in the Bible. Yeah, maybe, luck out. Well, maybe we'll just luck out and yeah. you know, something else happens. God promised that he would not allow us to face more than we could handle. I believe that is biblical. Anyway, thanks, guys, and keep all of us, the ones who can only put our t- total trust in the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, in your prayers. As we pray for you in your daily battles, boy, aren't they daily? Mm-hmm. May the God, may God bless, and may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you every moment of the day and night, George. Thank you, George. Appreciate that, brother. And Sweet. Uh, okay, here's here's uh, another one. Okay, this is now I've got a couple here that are recent ones. Okay, that I wanted to read because uh, for a certain reason. This was someone who had a disagreement with me. This is Brother Scott. It had a dis- well, almost a di- well, sort of disagreement. I sent some information back and didn't know how our communications were going to go. Mm-hmm. But he he sent something here that's really cool. I thought you'd like. He says, uh, "Tom you- has beautiful hair." Well, no. Yeah, that's the story on the street. Now, uh, Scott says you ask foreigner or foreigners. You ask listeners to forward any stories of amazing things God is doing. You remember? When we I do remember that? that, yep. He says, I believe this qualifies. Keep up the good work, gents. Regards, Scott. Okay. 
And this is from a website called propheticvision.org.uk. Okay? It says, mm-hmm. Witnessing History in the Making. 500 people respond to an altar call at an outreach conference in Tel Aviv, Israel. Last week, we organized an outreach conference. This is from their website. Mm-hmm. Outreach conference with an international evangelist and a friend of Israel, David Hathaway, who administered worldwide for over 60 years. This year, he celebrated his 50th anniversary since his first ever visit to Israel in 61. It was a very joyous celebration with the theme, Israel, Yesterday, Today, and Forever. He has a big heart and a big passion for Israel and the people of Israel, and it was reflected in his message. Over 700 people attended the two-day conference, most of them non-believers, and many of the guests of the conferences were an older generation, Holocaust survivors, and many other Israelis. For most of them, it was the first time they'd ever heard the gospel of a Jewish Messiah preached to them. Their response was overwhelming. On the first night, more than 300 people responded to the altar call, came forward to receive Yeshua as their Messiah. The second night, 200 people gave their lives to Yeshua. It has exceeded all our expectations. We have never seen such a large number of people in Israel responding to the message of Yeshua. It says, we saw... uh, what a difference our social work makes, which I thought that was interesting. Evidently, this group must do other work internally in the mm-hmm. community, yeah. which, you know, a lot of people say, well, you, you're talking about social gospel. Get rid of that. That's heretical. When it supports the preaching of the gospel, it is a good thing. They work yeah. hand in hand, just like Jesus. Jesus says, feed these people out here on the hillside. Meanwhile, I'm going to teach them, and I'm also going to cast out demons. And they're all three. You gotta have three legs of the stool. The spiritual warfare, the doctrine, and the service, you know, together. Mm-hmm. It says the love, patience, and help to people does wonders. We thank God that Voice of Judah is a ministry that continuously bears such fruit. It was a genuinely historic event. Something that hasn't been seen in Israel in the modern days. To see countless people coming forward to receive prayer for healing, and the testimonies kept pouring in from people who were amazed to discover they were healed. Um, it says, last week at the conference, we were all struck to see God in action as he is fulfilling the second part of the prophecy uh, back in Ezekiel, the spiritual restoration of the remaining generation of Holocaust survivors. And it says, while many times the youth gets all the focus of what God is doing amongst the young generation, it was indescribable to witness how God made a point of showing that he is far from done with the older generation when hundreds of people answered his call during the conference to restore them spiritually after restoring them physically as a nation. The Spirit of God was poured out mightily over the dry bones generation last weekend, and we have seen what has not been seen in Israel yet, the overwhelming response to an altar call of about 500 Israelis in Tel Aviv. Sweet. Praise Jesus. And Brother Scott, thank you so much for sharing that with me. That I thought that was something that we shouldn't tarry on, because we had asked for that, and I thought that fit the bill exactly. You know... I want to see tons of Israelis come to faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, that'd be awesome, wouldn't I, I it? I want to do that. And you know what? I hope there's some people out there called to do that in some Muslim countries and do that exact same thing. Let's go. Go there and have that same crusade and bring a bunch of them. The Bible foretells, you know, there's going to be people accepting Christ in Israel and also their Arab neighbors are going to accept it. And Me and you, there's man. going to be a lot that are, you know, going to... We should go. Methodist. We should go. Me and you. Go to start doing future quake from like. Where do you think? Tehran? Tehran, man. Okay. Tehran would be cool. Okay. Tehran quake. Yeah. Okay. Me and you. Well, okay. 
Maybe we'll, we'll see if the money comes in. Money comes right. in, and we'll, we'll do it. You know. Well, what's the what? What would be the what would be the monetary threshold for that? I don't know. I don't know. Ten thousand dollars. I bet we could go to Tehran and do a future quake from Tehran for ten grand. Yeah. I don't know if the State Department would let us go over there, but well, you know, you can. We could drive to. We could drive to San Diego. Yeah. And then cross the border and get a flight to <laughs> uh, Cuba. Yeah, they're listening to us here. I'm sure. So. Yeah. You know, you can do that. You can get. You can go uh-huh. there and get a flight to Cuba, and yeah. the Cubans will be like, "Hey, come on in, man. It's yeah. cool." So we could share the gospel with them on our way over, right? Yeah. To the Cubans. Mm-hmm. And then and get some there. sandwiches. Yeah. Cuban sandwich. Cigar. Yeah. yeah, I don't know about the cigar, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder if like Tehran has like a Johnny the Longshoreman kind of guy. You think they have those? I think kind they probably of killed all of them in seventy. Okay, yeah, probably yeah. rightfully saw they were a danger. So well, I don't know. Uh, I, I'll tell you what. If ten grand comes in, we may not go to Tehran, but we'll go somewhere cool. Yeah. How about that? All right, all, all right. right. Ten ten k is 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 our is our limit. Okay. <laughs> Could be like you know Kuala Lumpur or you know no yeah Togo we'll just we'll go somewhere Faroe Islands Taco Bell Taco Bell <laughs> can you imagine how much you could get for ten grand at Taco Bell man when I was a when I was a teenager we pulled up to this place and we didn't have any we didn't have a cooler yeah we were going to the beach so I pulled up I said everybody give your money and I pulled up to the window at Taco Bell and I said give me thirty soft tacos and that was our that was our food for the beach wow thirty soft tacos. And the dude mm. said, uh, come again? I said, 30 soft tacos. Like, mm. Uh, okay. You know, by the time I got to the 26th one, I'd start to feel funny, I think. You know? Well, yeah. It, truth truth be told, it was just me and another guy. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me share one other uh, recent one because I was afraid if I read this later, by the time we got to it, that we'd forget what it meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from Brother Paul, good good friend of our show here. He says, the title of the email is, I Love the Triangle of Truth. Okay. So he's one on that side of the ledger. Plus one. Okay. Now, Sister Marcy, mm-hmm. who listens to us regularly, very supportive, she was the ditch the triangle crowd. Oh. So, well, I'll tell you what. I'll pull it out every other It has time. a schism. Okay. Hi, Dr. Future. I just wanted to let you and Tom know how great the show has been lately. I love the Triangle of Truth. I think it should be a new addition to Future Quake. Because of Future Quake and the love of Christ that you and Tom share weekly, I started working with a prison ministry. Fat City. I hope that I can share Christ's love with prisoners as effectively as you and Tom do on a week-by-week basis to the world. Thank you for your tireless work that has opened me up to the life-changing powers of the Holy Spirit. I hope that God will use me to carry the gospel of Christ to those he calls, which I think is everyone. I love you all, and I wish I could communicate how wonderful my life is because of the work you do for the Lord through Future Quake. God bless Paul. Awesome. You know, I just wish he could write something that was a little bit more encouraging, you know, and not be so on the fence yeah. about what he thinks about us. But, and that's the way Paul is, just what you just read. Uh, and here's how I responded, uh, part of what I responded back. I said, you know, what you are doing, as far as his prison ministry, is a ministry Jesus specifically told us to do. You will definitely earn some brownie points from him when it's time to pass the medals out. Um, because, you know, if you don't know what to do, all of you out there, if you can't really figure out what to do, God's already put a list out. You know, go see the people in prison. Go see the people who are sick at home. Mm-hmm. Go take care of the widows and the orphans and the poor. You know, you can do that, and you can be absolutely guaranteed you're in God's will. 
Yeah. You know, Chris White Chris White said something interesting to me. He said, you know, uh, he, he read up on George Mueller, and George Mueller never got, like, fire in the sky, like, you need to open an orphanage kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. He just figured, he said, well, I'm supposed to take care of kids. That's in God's word, so what do we do? And, uh, you know, then from there, of course, was very prayerful and everything. Yeah. But he didn't necessarily get the direction from, from like, you know, a divine revelation. Yeah. Although, you know, he did, like, pray all the money in. Yeah. <laughs> but the the point is, is that he looked in the Word and went, okay, well, this is in the Word. I'll go do this, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, there's a, there's sort of a... Um, uh, it's now sort of becoming famous in our circles as a testimony that in an interview that Chris White did recently, the dude named Victor, mm-hmm. and Victor says at the end of it, he was in prison, prison ministry, and Chris asked him, he says, you know, what would you say to somebody? And he says, you know what, if somebody asked you to go to go do prison ministry, don't pray about it, just go. You don't need you don't need to pray about something like that. You right. just need to go and do it. Right. Somebody wants to become a Christian. Should I do it or not? Should yeah. I tell them? Or should I keep yeah. it to myself? You know, mm-hmm. uh, but Paul, thank you for setting the example. Listeners, do, do what Paul did. Just go pick something that you know the Lord wants to be done and do it. Don't don't wait until you can do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. God only has flawed people to do His stuff. Yep. And listening to future quakes should confirm that in your mind that being flawed should never inhibit you from doing something. Mm-hmm. And it's never done us for all the years we've been on the air. So. Please, just do it. Do you think somehow there was some way we could package Future Quake or some variant of it for prisoners to listen to? I don't know. You may not. I don't think the warden would be too cool with it. Be like, well, I mean, they have freaking these dudes out. What well, are you doing? That's true too. Hopefully, we can they won't take their vaccines him, now. Make, <laughs> make them people. You want know, to talk to Brother Chris about that? Maybe Revelations Radio Network could yeah, do a little do prison something ministry. like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, at least give give audio, you know, give stuff to people to listen to. Uh, here's one. I'm going back to our our, our old stack that, uh, and this this one's an interesting story I have to share with you. Okay, this is from Brother Joshua. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to share with you. Um, this is about his experience in trying to reach out to Mormons. Okay, I've gotten permission to read this. So okay, this is this is going to have some experiences that are sort of unique. He says, uh, this, "Is this the this the street ministry guy?" I think so. Okay. Okay. He says, this is old, and I matured much, so here are some things in here that show my theological ignorance. Okay, he's saying, you know, he's progressing now. Mm-hmm. But I'll leave those in there for now. Here's the story. He says, I've been witnessing and visiting some Mormon missionaries for a couple of months. I've got a passion for them. They are so sincere and full of zeal, but lost and wrapped up in false doctrine that's coaching them to hell. I don't want that for them, so I've been meeting them regularly. I read through the Book of Mormon, and I finished it Tuesday of this week with about 30 pages of notes that I took full of complications and such. I felt like I'd taken the test. I prayed that God would let me know what was true and what wasn't, which, looking back, I know was an insult to him as he has revealed his truth to me. And he was faithful to guard my heart against untruth and keep me steadfast in the salvation in Christ. I was scared to have them in my house with my kids anymore, so I agreed to meet them outside of my house. The place they picked was their family room at their church. I was preparing to have what I thought would be my last encounter with them. I knew that I probably shouldn't go to their church, but went anyway. When I was on my way, I knew that I should pray more than I was, but instead I listened to some Keith Walker and the Impossible Gospel. He says, I was going to be outline-driven instead of Holy Spirit-driven. It's an interesting point. 
He says, when I got there, it was one of my missionaries and another member I haven't met formally, although I did see him at one of their testimony meetings. He says, I have a good relationship with my missionaries. I, we understand each other's personalities and sincerity and where we're coming from. They can say things to me and I understand it's not offensive and the other way around. Introducing a missionary that I don't have a relationship with uh, means we had to start over. So a lot of the things I was bringing up, this missionary was wanting to shut down and was suggesting that we part from each other. This was on the topic of works and grace. He was only interested in teaching his doctrine and not interested in trying to give explanations on how they reconcile certain scriptures. He tried to stop the dialogue several times. My missionary would calm him down and continue the conversation. There came a point after lots of dialogue when the other missionary said we were at a brick wall and would not be able to go any further, and he started bearing his testimony. He says this is the point that the burning in the bosom feeling manifested itself. This is the thing that they always mm-hmm. tell you, you when they, like if you read... True. If you yeah. read the stuff, that's when you'll know it's right. Okay. What, if, what if you just have like jalapenos? I, I don't know. But what anyway. If you, what if you lit yourself on fire? Well, that would be more than the bosom burning. But he, he started feeling something like this. He said, I didn't want to let them know I was feeling it. But when they then they both proclaimed that they were feeling the presence of the Spirit. And I know they were because I was as well. I was not. It was not a familiar experience to me. And it was not a conviction of any truth. Just a manifestation of something supernatural. He said, I wasn't comfortable with the manifestation, and I would say that I was scared of it. But I wouldn't say that I was petrified at that point. When I left the church, moments after pulling out of their driveway, I was petrified of it. It was evil, but it's almost like when I was in their church with it. I wasn't recognizing it as evil, just analyzing it and knowing that it was uncomfortable. I was now afraid that I was allowing something evil home with me and didn't want that. I prayed for God to protect me from evil and asked him to deal with this because I knew that I couldn't. I took the Book of Mormon and chunked it in the trash. I got on my knees and repented of opening myself up to such things. I had gone so far as to pray to know whether or not the claims of Mormonism are true. And looking now, I can't even believe I ever did that. It was insult to God to do that. Hmm. I've asked God to forgive me of this, but I'm left with a panic now wondering why I was allowed to experience this manifestation and what to do about it. Okay. He says, what it did feel like, uh, it's scary for me to try to think about it. Um, he says, how, how would you describe a supernatural manifestation? It was that, knowing it was non-human. It wasn't like a painful burning. It didn't have a physical feeling, but no physical appearances. It brought about an emotional arousing. Uh, the motions were almost a numbing, dizzying, sleepy type effect. I guess I could describe it sort of like emptying my chest feeling. Like when you get when you go down a roller coaster, but it was different from a roller coaster in that there was something else there. I I know that when I had it, I didn't want it, but I wasn't scared of it. However, after I left their parking lot, I was petrified of it. I'm puzzled as to why I was allowed to feel what I did. I already believe I know why, but I want another perspective. The reason I did was I went into that meeting last night ill-equipped. I knew I shouldn't have met them as I did, and, and I did anyway disregarding the prompting of the Holy Spirit not to go there. On my way there, I knew I should be praying, but instead I wanted to be equipped with anti-Mormon methods uh, to be able to convert them through some outline that others have said are effective. I should have listened to God and prayed and sought him for direction mm-hmm. instead of going at it with a, as a man with an outline. Good point. I could just hear you telling us to do that. Pray a lot. Pray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that I've already learned from this experience. I know it's real and that it's demonic. I know that in dealing with these things that I'm just a man and not equipped to this kind of work, 
I'm just supposed to be an instrument, and I always need to keep that in perspective. I now have a testimony of this thing. I know it is demonic. Uh, the conviction from God revealed truth. This did not. I can sympathize with the Mormons and knowing that this is supernatural, but I can show them how it is evil. I sympathize knowing that they are following something as a strong supernatural force, however it's evil. When I was in their church experiencing, it came when one of these missionaries, who was bearing his testimony, and when it happened, it scared me, but I didn't run. I knew it was bad. It was just analyzing as an experience and trying to understand it, knowing that it was bad, but not petrified of it. The uh, Okay, he says, this Mormon experience was, does not reveal truth. It just reveals something supernatural. That's a key separation. Mm-hmm. Having a supernatural event experience is not synonymous with learning truth. Mm-hmm. They don't go together. Necessarily. This conviction from God not only revealed a supernatural, but revealed itself as truth that I could not deny what came from God. I want to mm-hmm. make sure that I haven't permanently endangered myself and my family. He says, I already know the answers I have, and I just want another perspective. Um... He says, uh, here, here, I need to think of the good things of God. Uh, he says, what, I need to think of what to do from here. First, I need to calm down and separate myself from this for a while, learn from it, grow closer to God, and take a break to build my relationship with him. And he says, maybe in the future, this will all be used again in evangelism and apologetics for me to be used as an instrument of God. I know that was sort of long. Uh, and I just, I'll just read you a couple sentences of part of what I answered him back. I said, Thank you so much for sharing this with me. I know it was traumatic for you, but I understand why you did what you did and your virtuous motives and your honesty was so real. I felt like I lived through it with you. I think you assess things in the aftermath pretty well in my book, and I'm confident God will continue to provide you his blessings, blessing and presence. You pursued this endeavor with the intention of doing God's redemptive work, and although you, you may have done some things differently now, and who can't say they haven't done the same thing? I think God will use this as a lesson and teachable moment and also show you something that most people would never be aware of. Cool. Sorry that was long, but, you know, we don't hear much stuff talking about the burning in the bosom thing. At least I don't. Maybe people who study it more. But it's interesting. His point is that, hey, there's really something supernatural going on here, but I could tell it wasn't anything about learning truth. Mm-hmm. Had, had you heard much about that, testimonies like that? Uh, the burning in the bosom? Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. I've... I haven't done a huge study in Mormonism. I've yeah. sort of read the basic books on how to yeah. you know, tackle it doctrinally in a conversation and stuff. Right. But uh, I, I, one thing that seemed to jump out of my mind was a was a gentleman who was really involved in praying a lot, and, and this, who was a Mormon who kind of got saved out of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he, him, and a bunch of his friends got together and were praying. Uh, outside of, I guess they have these meetings where the spirit sort of manifests itself, and only like the in real, Mormonism, yeah, and mm. only like really sort of like insiders can kind of go to these things. Wow! And they knew one of them was going on, so him and a bunch of other believers got together near the church and started yeah. praying against whatever was going on. Yeah. And they they talked to some of the people the next day, and they said it was the most horrible experience ever because, you know, these manifestations of the spirit were were like, you know, like snake faces and stuff. Uh, uh, like in you know running stuff, yeah. and then I guess at one point like a snake man ran down the front aisle <laughs> or something. Took the mask off of them. Yeah, what their prayers. Yeah, did. that's that's kind Took of Took the it. mask off of them. So well, that sounds like uh, when I remember uh, who, who's our friend. It was the former witch, uh, William Schnoblin. Yeah, he talked about entities like that he saw in the Mormon temple. Yeah, down in down in the, the basement. basement. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Who knows? You know? Wow. That's that's pretty far out. 
I have a few more quick emails if I can right, wrap man. up just to roll because we've got a lot to make up from in the past. These are like from BC era, okay? So, um, Gay, uh, Gail and Wally sent us an email saying, "Dr. Future and Tom Bionic, my husband and I found your show about six months ago, and we've been listening regularly since. Your programs have been so enlightening." about what is happening in our world today. It's amazing how fast things are moving to a climax at the end of this age. We appreciate your program so much. You're impressed at how prepared you are for each interview. I don't know how you have the time to do everything you do. Thanks for your faithfulness and keep up the good work and your wonderful humor. And that's Ian and Wally. Mm-hmm. And I just want to remind I, here, I didn't really talk directly to Joshua for that last email, too. Thank you, Gail and Wally. But Joshua... Um, we love you, and thank you for sharing that. That might have a real impact with other people who hear that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Lord will use that for good. And so, uh, Joshua, you just keep trucking and serving the Lord, okay? Thank you for sending that to us. Okay, this is from Brother Tom. Uh, another Tom. Not Bionic. Not you. Okay. He says, new to your show and wanted to say thanks. He says, brothers, I'm new to your show, and I wanted to write and let you know that I really do find your topics to be very enlightening. When I first found you guys on YouTubes, I think it would be iTunes, but maybe mm-hmm. something else, I thought you guys were nuts. Uh, in fact, um, I had to laugh on the topic you were talking about. I thought, man, those guys are smoking something. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been doing a lot of research, and during my time researching, I found you guys again. My research was into the mother-son cult and the mystery that's been passed down over the century, which I'm actually doing more research on that now. This took me into something I found to be very disturbing, the Mystery Babylon. Anyway, I'm now a fan, and I, and I still think sometimes you guys dive into the deep end. But after thinking about this and giving this a little prayer, I realized it's okay. So this is not like burning in the bosom. He had a good feel from the Lord on, mm-hmm. on us. He says, it's good that we learn this stuff and stay informed, mainly to those who are called to be watchers. Always verify and research yourself. I find things you guys say double-checking or witnessing to those things I have been researching. Sometimes it's just a little word that you or your guest says that opens up other ideas, links, etc. I, I understand that. I mean, our listeners sometimes, our guests will say one little thing, and I'll, suddenly your mind will get going. He says, to this end, has greatly enhanced my research, and I want to thank you also for doing what you do. We need as many as we can get. I find you guys to be funny and very humble. This throws an entertaining curve to your show. Keep it up. He says, now, I would, uh, like you, I am starting to see how deeply fallen and disturbing the lukewarm churches of our land have become. Because I feel it is my duty to speak out and warn as many as possible that's what's about to happen. I am now an outcast, even in my own church. Sweet. Man, we feel your pain, brother. Yeah. It's like Bill Clinton says. Just, yeah, I know. We understand. Are, you're, you're not alone in that. Our, our church, our personal one, leadership is very, very tolerant. Yeah. Of us, but that's like, not to say the, we still don't, don't have stupid kids, you know. There's still there's still regular uh, there's still regular folk out there that have heartburn with us, you know. And there's even yeah. several of us of the same spirit in mm-hmm. our church. So our other future and sing the same song, brother Tom. So you hang in there, man. Hang with us, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, he says uh, I have been kicked out of teaching high school young men and more or less been hung out to dry. To all of this, it's okay because I know whom I serve. We must continue this work and get the word out. Thanks for being there and getting the uh, word out. Uh, there are more of us I'm starting to see, and I see awakening going on, mainly the young folks. Amen. The very disturbing thing about this awakening is it's not in the church. It's in some of her people, but those truly seeking the truth. Well, maybe not the church buildings, not the visible church, but mm-hmm. the invisible church it is. 
Did not our Lord himself say, Seek and you will find? Our Lord will not leave us hanging, but has grown up a strong young people who I believe will carry this fight until the end, until the return of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Your brother and fellow watcher, Tom. Tom, you're in that fight too, brother. We need you much as you need us, okay? And Tom, you're going to be keep on getting kicked in the head by people. But one day they may thank you, at least some of them. They're going to appreciate what you share with them. And uh, I'm with him on the young people. Mm-hmm. This is a guy you may know a little bit about. His name's uh, Chris. I think I can share his name. Chris Putnam. He's a celebrity. No! Okay, yeah, I'm, all, I'm, I'm outing Chris Putnam in this email, okay? Yeah. Uh, he'll have to forgive me. From the Logos Apologia uh, site, mm-hmm. okay? He'll be speaking. at He sent an email. He he got one. Hell, we all get stuff from different religious ministries that are sending us stuff. And he got one from Christians United for Israel not long ago. Big announcement. Glenn Beck will be the keynote speaker at this year's Washington Summit. Now, this was Christians United for Israel having Glenn Beck, okay? Mm-hmm. And Chris sends back this response. He says, uh, I thought this organization was Christians United for Israel, yet you are now promoting a Mormon to be the keynote speaker? Perhaps he will talk about the ancient Hebrews that came to America like he does on his show. Perhaps you hand out Mormon literature at your D.C. summit. You have sold out Jesus Christ for political expediency and celebrity. It is shameful. Please remove me from your mailing list. In Christ alone, Chris Putnam. Boom. So you don't want to be puttinized, okay? Yeah, you don't want uh, to get putted. He he made it very clear, and uh, I asked him if I could share that, and he said, yeah, he says, you have permission to share it. He says, regardless of the Israel issue, it's not a trivial matter that Mormons are desperately trying to be accepted as Christians. Yeah. But they have a radically different gospel and preach a false Christ. By promoting Glenn Beck and an organization for Christians, they are affirming that he's one. They're endorsing Mormonism by default. They're throwing Jesus under the bus for a political cause. It's heretical. So, there's an old buddy in there. Now, I've got one last one from someone we hear from periodically. Johnny Longtron? Now, not, no. Now, not as often. But uh, back then, we'd hear frequently, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. I was going to say Joseph Farah? No. No, not Joseph Farah. No. Uh, which, by the way, sees here that he is from Houston, by the way. He said... Uh, First they came for the Muslims, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Muslim. Then they came out for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. He says, I'm always reluctant to listen to your show. He says, it always gets me depressed. I'll hold off till Monday from now on. You know, I want to have the weekend to listen to it. I enjoy the prophetic shows a bit more because there's always that hope that he's going to come soon. Um, and he says, oh, the past show's button should show you this week's show and past archive. He says, I feel like there's only a never-occurring show, but I'm extremely OCD. Uh, and uh, he says later, uh, I guess he's referring to the fact that you were sharing a lot about the false flag terrorism mm-hmm. frequently on our show and opportunities to inject yeah, Dude, no, it's, it's, it's super, super, it's super depressing, but, you know, yeah. well, he has got to go there sometimes. He was saying how you were frequently doing it, mm-hmm. you know, and getting ready for the talk. He says, sure. He says, how many slides did Tom end up with? I think he must have thought you were going to have like 100 or 300 slides. Uh, so. That was about right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's about how many I have for yeah. for our deal coming up. I've got, well, of course, I have like seven, 800 words on a presentation slide. So, you know, that's all. That's it. That's all she wrote. 
We've gone long with the interview That's on here. That's cool, man. We've had a long, yeah. long deal. That's cool. I'm, I'm into it. You got any last words for our Futurians? Oh, just, in case, you know. you know, we're yanked off and Just continue to pray for us, you know. I always feel like my life is always, like, in total flux, you yeah. know. Yeah. Just pray for some. Dynamic. Pray for some peace for a change. For peace? Okay. For, for, for Brother Tom here. Okay. Uh, you want to elaborate any more? Direction? Oh, just direction, I guess, would be a good one. Okay. Peace and direction. Yeah, I pray that you can start figuring out how to really serve the Lord instead of all those times you're wasting doing. I feel like I feel like I'm just like going like 90 miles an hour, and yeah, you know, it's that whole thing. Like, do you go and for me, it's like, do I go and do I go to school, you know, and right. then increase those multiply ministry opportunities, yeah. but. You know, then in the meantime, there's, you know, you're not ministering to people as much. It multiplies them if you go into, like, the pastorate, basically. Well, in some ways. But, see, that's sort of a, that's sort of a dichotomy, too, because yeah. what ends up happening is ministry begins to take a very concretized shape. And then yeah. you, you miss out, yeah, uh, without ever knowing it, you sort of become part of this culture and you're not as likely to reach out, you know. And I'm just like. Hey, I know what you're saying. What, I'm, I didn't, I, what I need, I need is a, I need is a rich Future Quake listener to give me like fifty thousand dollars to go get a PhD. Okay. That's or they I, could just marry you. Well, what if they're a male person? No, we're not going to go that way. No, I was no. going to have to. It's not going to work. No, but, but you could have a wealthy socialite, Futurian Christian, Futurian. You know. Oh, I don't know. I don't think that was I believe what in your marriage ministry. was designed for in the biblical model. But but if they fit in every other category and they just happen to have money, you wouldn't turn it away, would you? If that oh, I don't know. It's God's pray. way of putting you in ministry. I feel pretty cheap. Yeah. You know. At any rate, yeah. God wants to send you something, however how he packages it. You know. Well, if he wants to, he needs to send me, like, to Wheaton College so I can go there to, like, to Harvard. and okay. sort of. I've got this really interesting theory about uh, yeah. taking some of the the Old Testament divine counsel stuff and applying it to the New Testament. And I've really yeah. been doing a lot of research on that and, okay. you know, um, doing that sort of stuff. You are an academic type. Your mindset is ideal for it. A scholar just realize they'll kick you in the head the way people do here because oh, so what? your thinking's different. Yeah, so, what's the know, big deal? <laughs> they may hold you up and say this is... I had to wear a crash helmet to a chess game anyway. Yeah, this so, is I mean, pseudo-theology. They may not, you know, agree. So just yeah. be prepared. Well, that's fine. Yeah, when but I said about the pastorate... Step one is to get, like, into the into the game, you know? Yeah, so, so when I was talking about the pastorate, I didn't mean that necessarily that people couldn't do it without the degree. I just meant that... The way you were saying it is that, like, you know, sometimes it can increase the the position that you can get, you mm-hmm. know, within the path well, of a higher it, it, position. It absolutely does. Down. You know, like, if you've got an MDiv. If that's what you choose to do. And let, yeah. Or you could go like me and be a total outlaw, and nobody would have me ever speak at a church in many years. Outlaw. I have zero credentials. of You know, like the official, you know, the official minister kind of stuff. I have zero credentials. and. No one would have me to speak to their church in a million years. Man, so. it's, it's tough to know how to go, man. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I, I don't know, man. Yeah. The people need to just pray for direction for, for. Well, the Futurians out there are a lot more together spiritually than us, so. Yeah. Well, they, the Bible says a prayer of a righteous Futurian availeth much. I don't know what verse that is, but maybe that's in the Greek text. In the new translation. Yeah, it is it's, a, it's called the Future, future, future Quake <laughs> Version. Yeah. Completely rewritten everything. Yeah. yeah, Sons of God is like, like, like double sized type. Yeah. Book of Enoch is in there. Throw that in. Yikes. Uh, I don't know if I want to be hanging out at your church. 
Oh, I'm just messing with y'all. Yeah, I'm sorry. Know. You know, we're, when it gets this late in the show, it just we, we like, our mind loses, punchy, yeah. loses connection here. Yeah. We know everybody, our listeners are winded, so we're going to call it for a week, and okay. we'll see if the Lord preserves us to get back next time. Sweetness. We pray for all of our Futurians, man. A lot of y'all tell us you all are taking the tough ride because you're opening your mouths around other Christians or at church or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, they don't know what to do with you. And uh, just be faithful to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Let the chips fall where they may. You know, and if doors shut or whatever happens like that, um, you just roll with it and just know you got to keep serving the Lord, but don't worry about the results. There's a lot of results you can't control. It's just being faithful is all you can. So Mm -hmm. we love all y'all. Come back next week. And until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Ciao. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake. Quake.